Tough act to follow. A little bit. I'd like to uh, thank Phil for warming up the crowd for me. That's nice. Of <laughs> also, a very different vibe. It's <laughs> the live show atmosphere is so great, and it it oh, when it yeah. worked, and it I think it worked pretty well last week. It's a pretty good feeling. I can't even imagine doing that every week though. No, it's a different show. It's yeah, it's great. But I mean. I know you get nervous before a big interview, but, you know, I'm not going to be that hard to, just, you know, I'll go easy on you. <laughs> Phil was pretty good, though. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. You know what? He was way more candid than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I don't think he would have done it otherwise. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel yeah. like that is, that's the, like, I think that's the thing that people were most surprised by. The other thing that I think people were surprised by was how clear it was that he reads our stuff, you know, like his familiarity yeah. with Marco's complaints and couple of other things too but it a couple people like the 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 most common comments i got afterwards were wow that's a side of phil schiller i've never seen before he was very you know he just was casual and combined with right. wow he obviously you know pays attention to us yeah well molt too i mean we've known for years that he's been reading molt of stuff but it, it was nice of him to give a shout out to to your you know to your b level <laughs> guests it was very good it was a fun time at the show too yeah, it was great. It was a blast. Um, yeah. uh, but you know what? Good job. I know I told you in person, but I'm sure everybody listening to this is thinking it. Uh, you did not screw up, so get on here. And you nailed him quite a bit. Not nailed him, but you know what I mean? Like you Held his feet to the fire. Uh, yeah, a little bit without right. being a jerk. That yeah. was the dance. Yeah. You know, is how do I ask the you know questions that everybody in the room kind of wants me to ask? And there's other ones that I missed too. I mean, we could, and I had to. It's like I had to decide what not to ask because you know an hour is a. It was a little bit longer than I think that I told them that he'd be on stage. I'd said like maybe like forty five, fifty minutes, and I think he was on stage for like fifty six minutes or something like that, which was not a complaint. He thought it went well. It was all smiles all around backstage. Yeah. But the other thing, too, is I feel like just the atmosphere of a live room, you can't do it like we do on these, you know, Skype shows. You can't go more more than 60 minutes. Yeah, there's something about Skype that just lets you go off into the weeds and right. whatever. Like, take a break, <laughs> gather your senses, and just not make sense right. for a little bit. But, uh, no, it was very directed. Right, very like, directed. we could have gone um, in, like, one one thing, like, people have sent, like, oh, I wish, oh, you know... That was a great interview, but I wish you would have, you know, talked about blank. And the one that's very common is the App Store. Right. Um, yep. But I, I, one of the reasons I didn't is there was nothing really new about it, and I kind of wanted to focus a little bit more on, you know, current events. And the other thing too is I feel like once you open that can of worms, that's a, you know, that's hard to do in just a couple minutes. It's a very complicated thing. I mean, but both the app store distribution models, um, what adapting existing business models to work on the app store, uh, provisioning, uh, like the code signing nightmares, all kinds. Yeah. Of and the big uh, one too, especially, and I don't know, I, I actually don't know. I suspect that my audience and the audience that was in the, you know, in the room for the live show is skewed a little bit more towards Mac developers than the overall Apple developer community in general. But it's certainly of interest to me is the whole sandboxing situation with the Mac. Right. And I kind of, we can kind of get into that was you, you and I talk about some of the stuff today. I kind of wonder whether the, um, what are they calling this rootless thing? Uh, uh, system integrity. Right. Protection. I kind of hope that that might be a way of backing away from sandboxing. Could be, could be, right. we'll get there. Um, but I do think that, I mean, you only had an hour. Well, you right. had less on paper. 
uh, I, I agree that Mac App Store would, or even any App Store would have been a can right. of worms. And frankly, he just couldn't answer anything. Yeah, I, that's part of it. Like, I know, I mean, I know he's the boss of the App Stores, but uh, I mean, he's not going to make promises on stage right. to you. Like that. That's you know, as forthcoming as he was with other stuff, he didn't say anything that was uh, counter to. You know, he's very, very good at his job, yeah. basically. He didn't say anything that was counter to the messaging yeah. of Apple. One thing that people asked over, throughout the week, and so, you know, I love it. I do love WWDC, and it is it is weird and different. Like, I went to the um, uh, the Beer Bash. Did you go to the Beer Bash this year? You probably didn't. No. Um, but I went, and Dalrymple was there. And I always go, one of the, and I'm always on the fence as to whether to go. Amy was with me out there all week, as you know. And I always feel a little bad going to the Beer Bash because, um, actually, I, <laughs> that's bad. Because you, you end up leaving yeah, that's me. Exactly, I knew you weren't there because that's who I left her with. <laughs> I left her with you now that I think about it. But I go because it used to be in years past that that was the place where I would run into some people from Apple that I know who I hadn't seen throughout the week. If you want to bump into somebody from Apple, and whether you, we end up talking about anything interesting or not, even if it's you know just shooting the shit, it's a good place to run into them. Um and it's funny. That's what I thought about. That's why I went. And it turned out that it was really sort of the opposite. It was people coming up to me who wanted to, you know, say hi and thank me and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so you big shot. That's what you tell. Uh, no, not really. And I think the reason that it really it was it 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 was uh, it was so it, it, like one person after the other is that I was walking around with Dalrymple, <laughs> which and he's he's that's a rather distinctive figure. A little bit. A little bit less, less of one. Recently, yeah, though. definitely. He looks great. Dude's lost some weight, and he looks badass yeah, he really now. Does. Looks looks younger. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. I mean, he always looked formidable. Now he just looks like he will definitely mess yeah. you up. And somehow, I, I swear to God, it's like he. You know, you want to talk about who's influential? They only had three beers available at the beer bash, and one of them was Heineken. <laughs> I was like, did they? I was like, did they ask you, or did they just do it in advance? He goes, they they know better. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to his beard bash right. party, and uh, I I ordered a Stella, not a yeah, it was Stella. I didn't want to touch the Heineken just yeah. You're uh, worried it's gonna. Yeah. I didn't. Well, I didn't know which way right. we drink. Right, like either I'm drinking his beer and he's gonna be pissed, or I'm not drinking a Heineken and he's gonna be pissed. <laughs> so yeah, you got to roll the bones every now and then, you know. Um. Anyway, we ought to get to it because we have a lot to cover. And the whole idea, the basic idea that I have for this episode is to cover more or less loosely the State of the Union stuff. Platforms. What do they call that session? Plat platform State of the Union? Platform State of the Union. Yeah, they used to break it up into like three, I think. and Right, which all. is, you know, the basic structure of Monday at WWDC is sort of remained unchanged since forever, which is in the morning, there's the main keynote. And that's the one that the press gets led into, and that's the one people line up all night for. Um, that's the one that anything that's written, you know, on like real TV or newspapers the next day, all the news from there is what what comes out of it. Uh, then they clear the room. People go and have lunch, and I, I think around two thirty is when it starts. It's it's a bit later. You have like a good two hours for lunch. Yes, two thirty. Uh, everybody, but then at that point, it's. Real developer badges only you get to come in. And then they have, it's more or less a second keynote, but it's truly for developers. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I mean, like I was saying, uh, you know, Shula's very good at his job, and I believe he constrained all of his answers to what was actually in the keynote, rather than the rest of the stuff. And they've been getting a little bit loosey goosey with the NDA stuff, so I'm not really. Yeah, sure I don't what, think that that's. I don't even uh, think that that's. I don't think there is stuff. I don't think there is an NDA anymore <laughs> because my Apple TV, uh, there's a WWDC app, and you can just. I don't think I put my ADC. So yeah, I've been watching that too, and I wasn't sure because the the login that I've got has an Apple ID account. Like I wasn't sure if maybe it was cleared for. Yeah, but, and know, they've I been doing some stuff to combine the Apple IDs, but it's not the same Apple ID I usually sign in for ADC stuff. I'm pretty sure that that stuff is just not. Yeah. They don't. They don't really have an NDA anymore. I think they. Well, I think they. You know what? I'm. <laughs> let's gamble my career, but. It's not like I'm keeping my yeah. head down by appearing on this I'm show. Per, yeah. I'm pretty sure that this stuff is. I just I'm don't sure. think that they're yeah, crazy about stuff like that anymore. I don't. No, and they shouldn't be because I mean, the pretty much everything they say is uh, what you don't want to do is say what people say to you in private or in the labs or something, right? Because that's like, oh yeah, this is broken. Here's a workaround and. You know, we can't talk about the future stuff. It gets a little bit more on the negative side. But in a lot of ways, WWDC, especially because they sell out every year, um, I don't want to call it – it's not a marketing or advertising thing, but it's um, it's one of the very few times it's of year, if not the only time of year, that Apple actually gets to speak to developers. Yeah. And in a way, limiting that is kind of productive. Because um, it's not like Google doesn't know what the hell was said in every eighty like WWDC session. Yeah, anyway. I think it's actually I think it's sort of this shift towards a a more open Apple PR department. And I'm not going to pin it all on Katie Cotton, but it you know it ties in with her leaving. I mean, it started before well you know a year or two ago I think when they lightened up on the NDA a little bit and she was still there. Yeah. But it's definitely the shift that they're making. And I think it was always about PR optics. It was that they don't want people saying anything in public about the beta version of OS they've shown until they've released the OS. But now, you know, they've even, you know, there was there was obviously like an embargo on Monday morning where they seated a bunch of people from the press with yeah, that was the uh, yeah. you know the the current developer beta of uh, OS ten El Capitan uh, and let them write about it. I mean, and it's you know I think they emphasized. Well, in fact, I know because they gave me the same copy too. <laughs> uh, I didn't write anything. I had no time. I told them I was like, there is absolutely zero percent chance that I'm going to be ready to write any to publish anything by Monday. But they're like, well, take it anyway. Um, but I think they wanted, you know, they wanted the people to know that it just emphasize that this is a preview. It's a beta. This, you know, you're reviewing the ideas of right. what we're doing, not the current state that they're in. Um, right. And I just think in the past, they just wanted the opposite. They did not want anybody writing about them. Well, I think they're slowly growing into um, a, like a comfort zone that they did not have in back in like the late 90s. Yeah. Right? Like they were really on their heels for a while. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you, you can understand that backs to the wall being defensive kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, times are different now. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I, you know, I think Steve Jobs, too, was also a lot less right. willing to have people writing about stuff before it came out. And, you know, and, and the whole idea that stuff can change, you know, he want, you know, I just feel like if something changes, something that they announced last week ends up not shipping in the fall, uh, you know, people are going to call it out, but... 
I don't think that he's going right. to, you know, I, I think he was more crazy about stuff like that than Apple is now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's made clear in that uh, becoming Steve Jobs. Book, yeah. Which pleased everybody read rather than the Isaacson biography. Well, read both. Just right. the contrast, They're both know? worth reading, but if you're only going to read one, read yeah. that one first. Yeah, because, I mean, he's uh, – you've met these guys. I'm going to blank on his name. But uh, the author through whose experiences it's Because uh, there's two of them, but they they have like a little brand. Last, I forget how you pronounce his last name. Schlesinger or something like that? Anyway, yeah, oops. I got um, Hold on a second. These, these are not in the show notes. Yeah. Um, there's, there's parts of that story where he basically just uh, – Steve Jobs calls him up and – just yells at him for saying bad stuff yeah. about Apple, and but they're friends, like their kids hang out together and all that. So, Brent you know. Schlender, Schlender, okay. But so yeah, I think a lot of that came from Steve. And even if you were a pal, it, I don't think he'd be shy to yell yeah. at you. But so yeah, times are changing. Apple is the hugest of companies at this point. So, uh, you know, you never want to be punching down, right? So, I think. I think there's more open attitude uh, benefits. Um, but anyway, I, who better to have on? And I want to talk about some of this developer level news and try to put it in what would you call it? Layman's terms of what exactly Apple yeah. has done. And there's a lot like you, you've put together a pretty nice outline, which is a lot more preparation than I usually do for the show. And just looking at it, it's like, man, well, I did have a tough act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> there really is, though. I didn't want to screw this I, one up. The other takeaway I had from and, and watching the State of the Union uh, it, is that I I feel like Apple is really starting to get better at being a big company, and mm -hmm. it's and clearly a lot of this stuff has been delegated, and it's a lot less is going through one person, even like someone like. Uh, Craig Federighi, who obviously is in charge of the engineering teams, in charge of both OS X and iOS. Clearly, the man has a lot of responsibilities. But there's a lot of stuff that's being delegated, I think, clearly. Because it's more stuff is being done year over year than before. Seems that way. Uh, certainly appears that way from the on-stage presence. Um, that could have been a conscious decision to kind of bring more people on stage. Be, I mean, you probably know this more than I remember, but it seemed to me that there was like a cast of five people that ran Apple for like 10 years there between 2001 to like, let's say 2012. They had like maybe five people on stage with a couple of. Are you talking about characters. the regular keynote or the State of the Union? Yeah, the, regu oh, the regular yeah. keynote. Yeah, not the State of the Union. State of the Union was much broader, yeah. always. Uh, but this year, they seem to have broadened both the keynote and the State of the Union and a lot of the sessions. Yeah. Too. Well, we mentioned I mentioned it with with uh, Schiller last week, where you know they've broken this streak where there weren't any women in the regular keynote. Now there have been women in the State of the Union, I believe, for a while, and as a lot of people have brought up for years and years. I, in fact, as long as I've been going to WWDC, this isn't even a, a, a new thing. In the regular sessions, there have always been plenty of them that were presented. Uh, by women, either as the primary presenter or as one of the secondary presenters who comes up just to demo a certain thing, simply because it they've always, as long as I've known anybody at the company, there've always been a ton of talented women in uh, you know in the engineering ranks, and that's who presents at WWDC. If you're you know if there's a new API for uh, 
watch complications, whoever worked on the watch complications part of the API does the presenting. Yeah, there, there, you know, there's. And I, I like that you brought that up with Schiller early on, and 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 I felt he addressed it well because I mean, you said finally, and he said, "Well, it's right. a good start," which, you know, I I totally believe in. Um, but there's a lot of really talented women uh, developers yeah. at Apple. So, well, and and the thing is, you're right. Like part of your job if you're at Apple at at that level is to be able to present, uh, and they will spend the time with you and train you. If if you need it, uh, but you know when it's your stuff and you're the, you're responsible for it, you expect it to get up and talk about it, either internally, which can also be really harrowing, or you know in this case externally. And the one thing I know that they're not going to do, and and, and Schiller's answer last week emphasized it. It's it's people. It's still people who are responsible for this. So part of you know the real thing isn't hey we need to pick more women to be in the morning keynote. It's we need to make yeah. sure that the talented women in the company are getting promoted when they should be to be to have these areas of responsibility. Um, and combined with that, I think it's what you mentioned before is that they've just in general broadened the number of people, regardless of whether they're men or women, whether, you know, whatever skin color they have, just that there's more than just the top three or four people will get to present stuff in the keynote. And yeah, I mean, I do think the, um, I forget what that page is, but, you know, all the senior vice right. presidents on, the, on that page. I mean, that's, you know, predominantly white, older men. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not great, but it's also the truth. And it's a sad reflection on the state of the industry as as it has evolved. Um, not that these people aren't awesome and great at their jobs, but you know what I mean? Like, the, there is certainly a lag time between um, uh, successful women getting up to those yeah. kind of positions. Well, and it's it's slowly happening. And and. And it's really nice to see them taking it seriously. Um, I don't feel they're paying lip service to it because I, I know that, that there's a lot of women in, in uh, uh, serious yeah. positions. And, and there have been happen. some, you know, there. it is changing in the right direction. So Lisa Jackson is now, she's not a senior vice president, she's vice president, but she's in charge of their environmental stuff. Um, and their human resources chief is a woman. I, you know, I've never met her, but her name is Denise, Denise Smith. Uh, she's a black woman. Uh, Lisa Jackson is a black woman or a woman of color, whatever the right terminology is. But, you know, clearly adds to the diversity of that page. The one thing that I, mm-hmm. so many people, uh, readers and listeners of the show, have, have speculated on ever since uh, she joined the company was that Angela Arntz was going to become a major part of the keynotes. And I... It, I don't well, see why. Well, exactly. I think, the re- I think what some people thought was, hey, Apple only lets the SVPs speak on keynotes she's the first non-white guy in this, in the SVPs, you know, the senior vice president. So Mm -hmm. obviously she's going to speak. Whereas the way it works is she's only going to get to speak if there's something about retail that is worth putting in a keynote. Like if they do something, if there's like a major new redesign of the retail stores and it's worth, Hey, you know, let's spend 10 minutes of this keynote explaining this major new initiative we're taking with our retail stores, then she'll get to do it because that's her, that's her domain. But she, they're not going to bring her up to talk about, uh, the sales figures and retail, yeah, like, or, uh, what, like revenue or, or something completely footage, yeah. unrelated, like, um, Apple pay, right. They weren't going to have her. D- yeah. Well, no, they had to, yeah, they had the woman that was right. in charge of Apple pay, right. about Apple pay cause, because uh, that's her yeah. domain. Right. And, and really what it is, is that like, and it's like what Schiller said last week, it's, uh, 
So Jennifer Bailey, she's a vice president of the company. She's not on that page, but she's a vice president and she's in charge of Apple Pay. Yeah. Um, she's a badass. She's been around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, definitely has been around for a long time. And then Susan Prescott was the other woman on stage in the keynote, and she's yeah. a vice president in the apps division. So she's high up and she's definitely in charge of, you know, she did the news thing. Um, so she's, you know, the, the, you know, the chief of that, I guess, you know, she, the whole news thing is under her. So it made sense for her to do the demo, but it was only because okay. they're expanding to like other lower levels of the company that they can do stuff like that, which I think is great. Yeah. And, you know, Apple has had historical, uh, you know, uh, Ellen Hancock was a chief technical officer when they bought yeah. next, but that's, but, so, but holding yeah. Ellen, I know that's yeah, holding Ellen Hancock up as hey, there have been women in keynotes. It's a bit of it was a bit of a stretch, and it was wearing thin. Oh no, oh, no okay. I don't mean to do that. I just I just mean that you know there have in the past yeah. been uh, women in high levels, you know, yeah. C level executives. Yeah, and obviously they're not doing enough. Well, it's not that they're not doing enough, but I mean, uh, this kind of systemic change takes yeah. time, right? Like, and I think just cherry picking people to be either appear on the keynote is 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 wrong and they're not doing that they're they are um they're building up a, a, a good stable of like really effective speakers and 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 it, i'm really happy that they're kind of um ex broadening more than like the four to five sort of caricatures that we used to see like schiller used like you know used to jump off a roof <laughs> <laughs> with a Wi-Fi thing, right? Like there, uh, and you know, the, these were caricatures, and there it seems like they're expanding a little bit beyond that. Um, and that's, I think, that's good for good for Apple and good good yeah, for. Yeah, I, I think Schiller will go down as well. He's certainly to this day the only. He might end up being the only person ever who performed an actual stunt <laughs> live <laughs> for a keynote. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Google was still trying to catch up when they did that thing with the GoPros jumping out of a plane onto the top of the Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, guess what? When you know, when you strap your VP or senior VP of marketing on, <laughs> into a plane, then we can talk. Uh, let me take. Also, you know what? It, it's funny because for years he surely uh, came across as the yeah. goof because he played it that way. Uh, he is wow, bit of a smart yeah, guy. Yeah, definitely. Like I knew that anecdotally, but uh, just your conversation with him, he's 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 no dummy. Uh, no, absolutely not. No, and he's very very quick, and you can, you know, there yeah. were a couple of things like he knew I was going to bring up, uh, but there were a couple of other things I didn't, and I as I was asking the covering six four is awesome <laughs> by the way. <laughs> there was like five people in that room that really yeah. got that. Like, I saw some tweets afterwards. The people who the people who really got that joke really loved it. They felt like yeah, you know, yeah maybe that yeah. put a. And he handled it well. He just laughed. And, and he gave like a shrug, like, all right, you got me there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that might be, it might be a good example of the last time that Apple's, you know, that, that, that Apple pulled the carpet out from anybody, you know, in terms of that general well, discussion I mean, of, hey, we give hints. And if you follow our hints, you know, your, your job will be easier going forward. Yeah. And he's totally right. And, you know, that's kind of the exception that proves the rule. Because the year before they'd been encouraging it, and then they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do yeah. that. So that kind of sucked, but uh, he he said his, their track record was pretty good. He didn't even say they were batting a thousand. Did yeah. I get that right? A thousand. A thousand is, would be the best. Is, yes, it's one hundred percent. Okay, he didn't even say that. He said that you know it's pretty good, and it is pretty good. So you know. All right, let me enough. take a break. Thank you.
Do you want to thank actually, our first sponsor? Oh, want to take, we actually haven't talked about anything yet, <laughs> but we will. Uh, <laughs> our first sponsor is our good friends at Harry's. You guys know Harry's; they make uh, really high quality shaving products. Um, they've got little kits. They here's the deal: you go to Harry's.com. And you can buy it to get started. You can get a kit. It starts at just like 15 bucks. You get a razor blade. You get a couple, a uh, couple of blades, uh, some shaving cream, really, really high end stuff. It's so nice. It's so much better made, better designed f- than, than the stuff from Gillette or Schick or whatever the hell other mainstream brands there are. I just noticed I've got, so the, the one they have, they've, they've got one called the Truman set. It's got this orange, uh, like a plastic handle, the one I have, and it's from years now. I mean, if anybody has been listening to the show now, you know how long Harry's has been an occasional sponsor of the show. And when they got started, they sent me this, the Winston kit, and I still have that. It's got a metal handle. That's 25 bucks, a little bit more expensive because it's made of metal. I was actually looking at mine the other day. Now, I've had it at least two years. I was looking at it, um, and I, I usually shave in the shower, and I, it always it drops. It falls in the tub all the time. Uh, I was looking at it. It looks brand new. Like it looks like I could put it back in the box and sell it back to somebody as mint condition. The stuff is really, really made to last. Um, really well designed, just sort of a classic look. Uh, and they really take this stuff seriously. They, uh, their blades, they were buying them from some company in Germany. They're German made blades and they like them so much that they just bought the whole factory and they're make, they, that's it. They make their own blades. So they're not like just putting the Harry's brand on, you know, white label razor blades that they buy from anybody in the commodity market. They make their own blades. They're really good. Uh, and the whole point of the reason they can, they can sell this stuff so much cheaper is that they're cutting out the middleman. They make this stuff, they package it, they put it in really cool boxes. You buy it and then they just ship it right to you free of charge, free shipping on everything. Uh, so there's no markup that you get by going through distributors and distributors selling it to drugstores and the drugstores putting their markup on it. And then the drugstores, because as people shoplift stuff like razor blades all the time, putting it behind those stupid glass cabinets with a lock. And then you got to find an employee. None of that. You just go to harrys.com. You order it. Uh, 15 bucks will get you everything you need to get started. Uh, and then once you find out that the stuff is just as good as I've been telling you, you can order n- stuff like new blades, uh, that they're under two bucks a pop. If you get them, uh, in quantity way less than, than the na- big brands are, uh, even when you buy them at places like Amazon, if you get like a Gillette or whatever other brand like that. So you pay less, you get a better product and it could not be more convenient. So great stuff. If you have any reason to buy any kind of shaving stuff, go check them out. Here's where you go. You go to harrys.com and uh, use the code TALKSHOW, no the, just TALKSHOW, and on your first order, you'll save five bucks. Uh, Fantastic deal. So go there, check them out, harrys.com, and the code is just plain TALKSHOW. No joke, I use them all the time. They they sponsored our show too, and uh, I got hooked and I, I do use it. So use debug. <laughs> I don't, I don't because don't, because I don't actually think that exists. So don't do that. Use the talk show. You could try debug. No, I think Harry's is, is one of the ones, but, but I swear to God, I, I do use it. Like I, I'm, I'm actually a fan. Yeah. I, like I probably wouldn't have followed up, but they, you know, they sponsored us. So they gave us like a, 
the uh, the shaving creams and uh, the uh, the aftershave and the razor and the blades. And, you know, now he's Yeah, and they've been doing a thing, too, also, like, sort of like Apple does, where they come out with the first thing, and then they slowly iterate over time, where they've slowly added a few new things. Like, they started out, I think they only had a shaving cream, uh, and then... Then they had a foam. They had one and not the other, and I think they added the gel is the second thing, because a lot of people prefer a gel, and now you get a choice. When you buy any kit, you can choose between shaving cream, shaving gel, whichever one you prefer, they've got both. All sorts of other yeah. stuff. And now they've got an aftershave. Yeah. They had, if you listened to me a few weeks ago, if you were smart, you bought it for your Father's Day. They had a Father's Day kit, but they're already sold out of it. Might be a little too late now anyway, since the show's not coming out until two days before. Anyway, if you were smart two weeks ago, you would have listened to me and bought that. Yeah, that's a good gift. You know what? My uh, uh, my lady friend's dad wants a gun cleaning kit and a knife. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm going to treat her right. <laughs> <laughs> that guy seems like he's like a retired CIA guy or something. I, I, I'm scared to death of this guy. I hope he's not asking for that stuff because of you. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some of this technical uh, stuff from the the WWDC, and there really is a lot. Um, do you want to go in the order of your uh, your uh, outline? Well, I mean, because we segue from yeah. Schiller, so yeah. I think we're- yeah. Yeah. So the sense. first thing that you have in the list, and I think it's a good topic, is the app thinning. And yeah. I think that I think that ties into the whole idea that uh, from Federighi in the morning keynote about how they've re- significantly cut down on what's going to be the over the air size of, or, or I don't know about the over the air size, but the minimum required open storage on your device to get started with the up, update to iOS nine. I, th- I think it's got to be related. Yeah. I think so. I forget. Was it six to seven? It, it went from like, like the, you needed like four gigabytes free four gigs down, to down to like to one. one point six. So I think there's probably two things. A, app thinning, which we'll describe in greater detail in a moment. Uh, and probably that uh, new fancy pants uh, comp sci uh, compression yeah. algorithm they mentioned. It's probably a combination thing. Uh, I wonder too if they're doing some of the resource stuff over, you know, like. Oh, definitely. Sorry. Yeah. When it, so app thinning is three things, basically. Um, and it is on-demand resources, which are, um, if you, uh, the, the example that they give is, is a game where if you, uh, you're not going to get to level 10 if you just start playing the game until a little bit. So you can have resources that are included in your application but are not actually downloaded from the App Store until you start to, to need to use them. Um, so that's big. So that your downloads can be small, but you can actually have a, a, a big application in general. Uh, it used to be, like I remember back in 2008, 2009, when we were shipping um, Tap Tap Revenge stuff, we sweated getting the app down to the size where it would be okay to download over cellular. And I forget what it was at that time, 10 megabytes, something like that. And we had like a lot of graphics and audio files, which, you know, MP3s add up. Uh, So, you know, I think now the direct download size is limited. I forget what it's limited to, and it, it's kind of a moving target. But the total download size with these um, on-demand resources is about 20 Yeah, gigabytes. and it's definitely so, an issue. I, I, I see it a lot. I don't download a lot of games myself, but Jonas does. And it's 
it's always like a, you know, sitting on a whoopee cushion emotionally when it's like, Hey, can I get this new app? And, you know, we say yes, but we're out, you know, who knows, you know, we're out and about, we're not in the house. And it's like, wah, wah, it's over the, over the cellular download limit. And so it's definitely yeah. a big deal. And, you know, that was a huge engineering challenge for us. Like we, we sweated that because you need the impulse buy yeah. for those kind of pop games, yeah. you know? Cause I mean, I mean, I mean, do you and Jonas remember that when you go home? Sometimes and sometimes not. Right. And, and right. even if yeah. it's, even if most of the time you still remember to, to get the same game when you're back on Wi-Fi, you're going to lose some, some number of uh, downloads that you would have gotten otherwise. Yep. And that's a definitely sure. a big deal. So I think it's a huge win yeah. for uh, game developers. Yeah. So, I mean, this does go to the uh, Shields remark on the 16 gigabyte, which was kind of a non-answer. Little well, bit. But at the same time, they're backing that up with a bunch of this technology that that they've put into iOS 9 in order to try to make that. I mean, he, he I don't I don't want to say waffled, but he was vague and hand wavy about um, what well, we're doing more things with yeah. the cloud. Uh, but. You know the, the the technology that they've actually been adding uh, supports that supports the fact that they or supports the argument that they really do want to make sixteen gigabytes of value, um, not a value, a, um, a viable um, right. footprint for for iOS. Well, devices. and like my argument was, I, I'm guessing most people listening to this episode probably listened to that episode. I mean, that episode. I'd, Pretty good numbers. Um, I hope so. Stop listening to me. But, and go but my argument, Bill, my framing please. was that Apple, for year, ever since Steve came back, has done this good, better, best three-way framing of a product line. And that to me, with the 16-64-128 split, it's a little bit more like, okay, better, best. Like, it's hard for me to justify calling 16 good. Yeah. And, you know, he, he made the best case he could, I think, that 16 is pretty good. And, and and depending yeah, on your needs, that if you're going to shoot a lot of video, then no, you want to upgrade. Uh, but if you are yeah. buying devices for a enterprise type employee type thing, that you don't need that. Yeah, and right. you know that you can store stuff like with photo, even with video, you can use iCloud photo storage and not keep all of your video on your device and still have access to right. it on the fly when you need it by downloading it when you need it. Yeah, I mean, if your company is buying a thousand of these and giving them out to employees, uh, it's for emailing, doing calendar and messages and that kind of stuff. And it's you know maybe sixty gigs is is fine for that. Also, I like I did I mean not to get too meta, but the way you framed that question was good because you I mean you kind of you bracketed off good, better, right. best, and then <laughs> then showed that it wasn't actually that good. So um, on the other hand. You know, they are making – they're investing a lot of software effort in order to make these lower-capacity phones um, yeah. viable. The other thing I got – so I got a lot of feedback on that question from people. And some people were like, wow, you did a great – like what you just said. You did a great job framing that in a way that, you know, you asked a tough question, but you did it in a respectful way where you weren't being – you know, it right. wasn't confrontational. Uh, other people were like – uh, you didn't. You should have followed up on that after his answer and pressed him on it further. Or other people who made what is a good point was that I'm. It's like my own personal perspective on this, where I'm really only interested in the current generation devices. 
uh, I didn't even mention the fact that they're still selling eight gigabyte devices. Like if you buy the right. iPhone 5C, which is the one that's, I think, currently free with contract, uh, you only get eight gigabytes of storage, which is really low. But I do think, like you said, like with this whole app thinning thing, they're not, it's not like they're selling them and engineering has, software engineering has left them behind. Like I think more than ever, they're really focused on making sure that the entire array of these iOS devices that they're selling are, are, moderately useful to you know pretty pretty good yeah. devices going forward yeah uh my other i mean this is pretty much unsubstantiated but uh my understanding is that the the ram chips that they use in the 16 gigabyte uh they don't come in 32 gigabyte. yeah <laughs> so they, they need to find a different supplier like things get like there's complicated stuff there that yeah, yeah, that's the something I think we there's like there's some basic we heard this from the same person last week, but you know, sort of yeah, off probably, the record. Yeah. Um but that it's a little bit more complicated than just the product marketing implications of the the way that it if 16 to 64 to 128 is the split, boy, there's an awful lot of people who, if they were on the fence, might have gone with the – if it was 32 at the low end, would have bought that 32, but instead buy the $100 spend the extra $100 to get the 64. Clearly, that's part of it. But that we heard that there's a technical reason, and it was that the it, it sounds crazy because I know that if the, if the 32 gigabyte chick – chips did exist it wouldn't be it's not a hundred dollar expense to apple it's a couple of bucks at the most but that oh, yeah. but that there was yeah. something very very specific about these chips but that the 32 ones actually weren't there and that if they wanted to have them in the quantities they needed 16 was actually you know there was actually like a what would you call it an operational advantage to 16 64 128 right yeah so you know i mean you know that I, I can't. It's not like I've spoken to the guy right. that actually buys all of this stuff, but you know, I, I, that seems plausible to me. And it's also not something Phil's yeah. going to say. <laughs> so, but on the other hand, they're trying yeah. to make it work. So, they really are. All of this software technology is, is yeah, and a it. lot of it. There's an awful lot of things that's going to keep coming up because if if we even get to Swift and stuff like that. But boy, the whole. And you know, and and one of the things that Schiller said last week, and I do think we're starting to see it, is that a lot of these things are years in the making, and some of yeah. it many years, maybe close to a decade. I mean, when did Apple first uh, bring Chris Latner in, hire him, and and sort of adopt LLVM as as their official you know compiler technology going forward? Oh, I should know this off the top of my head. Uh, it may not. It's probably close Not to less than probably that. close to ten years. Close to, but I think right. less. Like, I think ten years is on the outside. Because um, he wrote a brilliant paper and he got LLVM going, it, it, basically because uh, GCC stank, and that's not a. I, I don't know if there's a lot of open source Dude. dudes that listen to this and they're going to get all bent out of shape yeah. about GCC, but uh, it was great for its time, really hard to uh, sort of make the advancements that are that we're seeing with uh, LLVM. Uh, the, I mean, FreeBSDs adopted it. I think there's some some work for Linux, but I, I can never keep track of all of that. Um, Here, from Wikipedia, Wikipedia reports yeah. that Apple hired him in 2005, so 10 years. Okay. And obviously, yeah. they've been reaping rewards from that, big and small, uh, every year, step by step. But oh yeah, it's, he's 
change the development tools. But it's really starting to the 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 way that that's. It's not just like I the the first couple of years of advantages of switching from GSC to LLVM were really about developers were the only people who saw those advantages, and now we're mm -hmm. starting to see okay. this trickle out into user-facing features, things that would not have been possible with GCC, I believe, like app yeah. slicing. Oh. Uh, Don't you think? You wrong. think I'm wrong? No, you're totally wrong. Oh, I, I okay. know you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, just to double down on, on Latner, Latner is a, like a snowball rolling downhill, and it's like exponential impact. Uh, he's doing a great job. Um, We'll get to Swift eventually, but uh, he, he's killing it. So app slicing is um, back in the next days before Apple even bought them, uh, they had what was called fat binaries, which are what we call universal binaries, which basically had uh, code segments for each of the different uh, chip architectures that the application could run on. So, you know, PowerPC or Intel or HP or, or um, Sun Spark stations, that kind of thing. Um, the idea is that there's a tiny um, sort of table of contents at the beginning of the file, and then you um, jump to the correct page and start and, and start reading the, the same book in, in your own language. Uh, and one book would help like four or five different uh, versions of the text, each translated as appropriate for the for the architecture that you were running on, um, and those were called fat binaries that that became universal apps uh, on the Mac with Intel and PowerPC, and now 32 and 64 bit ARM. Um, and one of the things that would happen on old Next machines was that uh, people would run um, a command line, which I believe still exists, it's called uh, LiPo. And what LiPo would do would go into one of the executable files and strip out the architectures that weren't native to where you're going to run the app. And that would save you some mm. space. And back in those days, there wasn't a lot of space. So that, that would be something that, you know, people would like to do. Um, app slicing is very similar, except that it happens on the App Store level. When you download an app on iOS 9 using app slicing, um, only the code that is appropriate for the device that you're downloading it for will be downloaded. So you won't have extraneous code for 32-bit uh, ARM, 64-bit ARM, and, and what have you. Further, and this is probably the biggest win, is that resources will be culled that aren't appropriate. So if you have um, like an iPhone 6, um, yeah. you will only download the at 2x resources. Instead of the 3x resources that should be included plus. Yeah, for the 6 plus. Right. Right. So um, it will only, it will be the minimum footprint. It will be only exactly what the application needs. Um, and that will, you know, that, that will be, have huge gains in terms of uh, the application download size and the footprint on the device itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it seems like that's going to be a big deal. And it happens. So you submit as a developer, you submit one app with everything, all of your resources, your 32 bit, your 64 bit compiled output. You submit that to the app store. And then the app store takes care of serving the sliced up. Here's the, here's, here's only what you need version to the customers. Right. Yeah. 
which is great. And it's one of the benefits of having an app store. Right. You get to slice and dice as you need and, and download the, the appropriate Right. Thing. And so it's another way that apps can, A, it just it saves everything anyway. It's less energy, less networking. It's, you know, a little bit, you know, a little, it's good for everybody. So everything's going to be faster, but it's another way that apps can get under the cellular limit too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. On demand was, is a big one and app slicing will also help a lot. Yeah. Especially with the, um, there's so many devices now with so many requirements and resources are getting kind of blown out. Um, this is going to help a lot. It's going to make, it so that every app that you download is same yeah. in terms of your device. Yeah, because one of the other you one of the other things that's interesting to me about iOS nine, and I'm not surprised because they're still selling the A5 with um, the 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 entry model non Retina iPad Mini, um, and since they're still selling it, that makes sense that they're still supporting it with iOS nine, but. Uh, you know, presumably they're going to have new iPads and new iPhones later this year. So it's only going to be adding to the number of devices. So now we're going all the way from a non retina one X stuff, like the, the, uh, the, like I said, the entry level iPad mini, the, uh, iPad touch is iPod touch is still being sold. Those are a five devices that are, or I guess the iPod touch is retina, but, you know, there's still non-retina device being sold, still being supported, all the way up to 3x devices like the six plus. Yeah, yeah, and the you know, again, this kind of backs up what uh, Sheila was yep. saying with trying to make you know that that's a big investment. Uh, you know, they they put a lot of work into making that work or happen. Yeah. So. You know, it's not just lip service and trying to fob it off as some like the marketing guy is being like, no, no, it's great. It, they're they're trying to. Back so it. another thing they announced, and I think this is the first time, is that, um, and this is it's a real struggle for developers if they're if you're doing something that really presses the limits of the device. Think high end game. Uh, think something like uh, Pixelmator for iOS. Uh, you're really really stretching the limits if you want to both take advantage of the latest hardware and the fastest graphics stuff that's that's on like the current state of the art iPhone and iPad and yet still be able to even launch on the A5 right. based ones um so well they still have to write the same right. code so. well but the one thing so, they you mean vaps well the, the other thing that they announced this was in the morning keynote with with uh Craig where they announced that you if if it's up to you as the developer but you can submit an app now for iOS that uh requires 64 bit. Yeah. Oh that yeah that's huge. And effectively yeah. that means the A7 or later cuz the A7 with the iPhone 5S was the first 64 bit. Um yeah, they're very rarely given us um for lack of a better word, uh, breakpoints in terms of what can and can't be supported. Yeah. Um, generally, they want if if an OS level supports it, they want third parties to support it. Um, this is one of the few that, and, and you know, they, they they added this in order to exactly like support stuff like high end graphics stuff or, or high end games. Um, because, you know, like a lot of these things, the older architectures just can't handle it. And you can't, 
the development burden of supporting these older systems is going to outweigh any benefit that you have yeah. to them. And yet, in the App Store, there's no way to indicate that. Well, there um, is, but it's terrible. Like I've, you've seen it, I'm sure. As you see, like in the app description, it'll it'll say, so, "Hey, yeah. if you if you're not using a you know A7 or above or something like that, they'll say, don't download this game." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I mean to express that in a right. manner such that the App Store can. Nobody wants to cheat their no. customers. Well, I mean, some people do, but well, you know, the majority of people are right. good actors, and nobody wants them to download something that they can't possibly run. And yet, there was no programmatic, or or uh, there was no way to express that this game requires a certain level of hardware in order to be even remotely fun. Uh, so they've added that, which is which is nice. Because I mean, in the old days, people were switching on like, uh, can this app shoot? video i yeah. think or like does it have a camera like there was some weird stuff that happened to coincide with like faster processors right. and so they claimed that they needed some certain part of gp uh, yeah like, like a video like, camera but yeah video is a good yeah, example video camera or gps whatever it was yeah it was like well we know that this device is faster and it also has this other thing so we're going to peg it on the other thing in order to trick the app store into not limiting who can buy it that's a crummy experience all around. Because yeah. you're lying to Apple, you're lying to the customers, and you, you know, it's just bad. Right. Let's come back and talk about Bitcode, but uh, let me do another yeah. sponsor read. And uh, But remind me if I forget, which I want to do. Let me f remember that yeah. where, where we'll pick this up is talking about Bitcode. Uh, gotcha. I want to tell you about our good friends at Igloo. Igloo is the internet you will actually like. You can share news, organize files, coordinate calendars, manage projects, uh, and more all in one place. It's a place, it's an online intranet for your team, your organization, your business, whatever you want to call it, your group, where you can do all this stuff in one place. Uh, and you can do it on every device. It's all web-based. It works great. Everything looks great on phones, tablets, desktops. Uh, big displays, small displays, anything you want is going to look great. Uh, their latest upgrade, they call it Viking. That's like the, you know, like the El Capitan version number of their stuff. They give them names like that. Uh, Viking revolves around documents and how you interact with them, gather feedback, and make changes. They've even added the ability to track who has read critical information to keep everyone on the same page. Uh, so it's like re read receipts in your email or read receipts on iMessage, something like that. Uh, but it's a lot more like iMessage than emails because it's not annoying. It just is a little indication of who's read what. Uh, and that helps you track whether key colleagues have read and acknowledged uh, policies or legal agreements or something like that. And if you don't need that, then you don't need to, you don't need to worry about it. But if you do, uh, it's a major upgrade to Igloo that maybe was keeping you from using it before. So that's great. If your company or your team has a legacy internet that looks like it was built in the 90s, it's probably because it was built in the 90s and you should give Igloo a try. Here's where you go to find out more. Go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. And they have a tremendous, tremendous free trial format for 10 people or fewer uh, you could just use it in 
for as long as you want, free of charge. That's it. And so if you've got a team that's fewer than 10 people, Igloo is free. Just use it, and you don't even have to worry about it. And then if you have more than 10 people, they have really, really great pricing, um, depending on your size. But you can check them out for free um, and get started and just see how good it can be. So my thanks to igloosoftware.com uh, slash the talk show for sponsoring the show. All right, what were we... Canadians. They're Canadians, uh, right? They might as well be. I, I don't know. Maybe they are. I think they are. They're very nice, so I, I suspect that they are. <laughs> 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 Every time I interact with them, they're very, very nice people. Oh, they got to be Canadian, then. It's the only, it's the only explanation. Uh, oh, that's right. Bitcode. All right. Explain Bitcode so, to me. Because I think that this, this seems yeah. to me like something that even in the, in the State of the Union was sort of... They went through this very, very quickly. And I... Yeah, so they they talked about it. They kind of skimmed over it. Um, the session explanation originally mentioned it, and then they expunged it. Like they updated the explanation in in the WWC app uh, to remove mention of Bitcode, and it wasn't really spoken about much publicly after that. But uh, my impression from what they said on stage was that. Um, Bitcode was effectively a marketing term for. Uh, it's gonna get this is gonna get nerdy, but uh, bytecode, like like sort of the Java way of like you compile things down to to a bytecode where um, you can redeploy the same code across different platforms. Right, like um, in in a traditional compiler, you compile to a specific uh, processor instruction set. So if you were on right. a you know, an x86 chip, your compiler generates x86 machine code that is directly, it's the native language of the CPU. Exactly. And bytecode, and Java is probably the most famous example of this. A Java compiler compiles to bytecode, and the bytecode is, it's low level, Bit. but it's the same bytecode can run on, it's say, uh, Intel well, yeah. or PowerPC. Right, because it's interpreted by a virtual right. CPU, which is the runtime. It's the, you know, when people ask you to install Java, that's what they mean. Right. So they, they need you to install the Java runtime so that they can interpret this code. So my understanding from what they said briefly uh, was that your code would be compiled down into a Java-like bytecode and then recompiled by Apple with their latest compiler technology to target whatever new devices they felt like. Um, so this would enable stuff like uh, like the CPU CPU on the watch to change, or uh, like an iPad with an Intel processor, uh, because it would be dynamically recompiled when you tried to download it. Um, that's not the mm. case. It did sound like I have to say that sounded like what they said when I saw the the. Uh... Well, that's what they said, and I freaked out. I was like that because, you know, I ship software. Uh, I don't want my name attached to software that I haven't been able to sh test. So that was kind of a big, that was troublesome. Um, what actually happens is that um, LLVM compiles your code down to. Bitcode, which is what they call it. And I know it's confusing because bytes and bits and whatever. Um, but the bitcode that LLVM um, emits is 
very much targeted to the processor that you plan to deploy on. And the only changes that um, Apple is going to make in this process are, quote, provably correct. Um, and that gets hard to sort of explain. Uh, if I'm doing something in a loop, and at the beginning of the loop, if I have to do something 100 times, and every time um, I have to write down five different things that never change and memorize them, um, and then go through the loop, you know, do all of the tasks I have to do, and then do it again, and then I have to write them all down again. One optimization would be to, well, why don't you just write them down once and use them every time through the loop? Now, modern compilers can do that for you. They can reorder your code in order um, to achieve uh, like efficiencies in, in, in this way and then to compile your code faster. No, not to right. If those five things are the, and you're saying it in this case, those five things are exactly the same and have to be exactly the same. You can prove that they'll be exactly the same all hundred times through the loop. Well, okay. So there's two things. There's, there's yes, there's that, which is um, the basically the the optimization level of rewriting code. It'll pull those out and we'll put them on the, on up top. Now the problem where that comes from is that if Okay, here, here are the stages. I'm going to ask you your name. I'm going to ask you your, your your family name. And then I am going to write them down on a piece of paper and I'm going to pass it to somebody else. That's my iteration, okay? Oh, I'm going to, and, and I'll probably add a number for how many times I've done it so that each iteration is a little bit different. Now, ask you your name, ask you your family name, I write them down. And I'm doing that over and over and over. Now, one day... You're like, you know what? John is a shitty name. <laughs> I'm going to call myself Guy because that's an awesome name. Um, and so now when I, when I go through the loop, I've asked you your name, and it's now Guy Gruber. And so the output You're changes. You're making me feel weird. Yeah, I know. It's a, it, this right. is a, I'm trying I to explain you know. advanced compiler automations. No, this <laughs> is a pretty good so gets far. So um, if you took those two steps, like asking you your name and your last name, and, and took them out of the loop, most of the time you'd be totally correct. But there's a weird edge case where um, by analyzing the code, you can't necessarily tell that you're likely to, you may change your name at some point, right? So that breaks code. Um, and that's the kind of optimization that happens with like, um, o three or o two, like the, you you set a flag about how much you want the code to be optimized when you compile these things. Uh, debug has no optimization, so you can step through and see exactly what's happening. Uh, at higher and higher levels of optimization, the compiler gets smarter and smarter about doing this kind of thing. But um, the compiler is not always uh, able to reason fully about your code, and therefore can. Uh, introduce some some bugs. So that's why I was concerned. And you're saying with Bitcode that cannot happen. So with Bitcode, they're different. They they have already done that entire stage of trying to be smart and and moving, um, you know, rewriting the code in order to achieve algorithmic improvements. They've done that on your machine, you, the machine underneath your desk as a developer. Yep. And so what 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 you've gotten from Xcode on your machine. 
you can test to your satisfaction. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Now, what Bitcode will allow Apple to do, uh, and I'm going to come up with a, a, a similarly stupid example, um, is that if you have, uh, I don't know, like some operation that's common, like a multiplayer operation, uh, maybe there's a fast way to do it. Like if you're only multiplying powers of well, it would be powers of two on a GPU, on a CPU, but uh, if you're only multiplying powers of 10, like so it's 10 and 100 and all that, all, all you have to do is add a bunch of zeros, right? Like log logically, that's how you learn to do math. Um, there can be a very fast way to do multiplication um, that this compiler can take advantage of because it's it's been introduced as a new... Um, it's called an intrinsic function, like it's a new capability of the, of the CPU. Um, now, a multiply is a multiply. It doesn't matter if it happens fast or slow. It's the same multiply, the same order of operations apply. Like everything is fine. Whether they take a shortcut or they do the full-on multiply is, you know, is um, something that is basically a decision based on it that the CPU has to make. Uh, and so Apple is basically reserving the right to change your code a little bit in order to better take advantage of these uh, minute optimizations. Right. And so it's not, as has widely been speculated, a way to future-proof compiled code for as yet uh, altogether new processors. That's my right. understanding. Yeah, this would be as hard to target, retarget to a new processor as taking assembly right. and targeting it to a right. new processor. And under the hood, um, so this article that was I, on this, this is getting way I know, nerdy. But there's a widely to, cited article but, written by I don't even know who it is. Like this, he goes here. Uh, he or lemon, she goes yeah. by the name Inertial Lemon, and I, I don't know who this is. But it, that this Inertial Lemon wrote an article that was sort of. I, I I think we're saying that they're probably wrong. That it's it's a good article. I recommend right. reading it. Uh, it's where I started with until I spoke to people that that had more right. information. It's a little bit more magic than than they can probably get away with, and maybe even like from your perspective as a developer, more magic than you would be comfortable them trying to get away with. Well, so. Um, Ms. Lemon, I'm gonna, I'm already forgetting the last inertial the name. Inertial Lemon. Uh, I that's where I started. I, I thought that was. Uh, they seem excited about the possibilities, and it is. It's exciting that you could retarget an application to a different platform. Uh, on the other hand, if somebody retargets my code to a different platform, and I don't get to approve it, uh, and it's shipped under my name, I am going to feel very uncomfortable with that. Now. Turns out that's not what they're doing. They're 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 doing small optimizations that that can have um, probably pretty small benefits, but in under certain certain conditions, they're they're certainly worth yeah. doing. So I'm you know I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, what next? So, uh, and this was cool to me, and just as somebody who you know majored in computer science used to think about computer science. It's like a purely computer science-y type thing is Apple unveiled a new um, compression algorithm, 
they're calling LZFSE. Almost surprised me because Apple usually comes up with some kind of name for everything. Yeah, but this is some hardcore. Yeah, stuff, and right? it's a replacement for, well, like, like sort of a drop-in replacement for um, what was Z-Lib? Yeah, Z-Lib or whatever. But that it's it, they've got different. I mean, I don't. A replacement is a weird yeah. thing, right? Because alternative, it's an alternative graph, right? Yeah, alternative. Right. Yeah, because they show like speed versus uh, compression factor, right. and it's it's way faster than Z-Lib, if I'm remembering the talk correctly, and uh compresses better right. too right so yeah yeah and but the only thing that they didn't unveil about this they didn't say anything about it being open sourced and i'm guessing that they probably will but they just didn't want to say anything right now because they're not they're not ready but who knows well like you said i think this is like serious comp side nerd territory yeah if they don't open source it uh, there's going to be a paper on it like you don't yeah it just seems to me like even if they've you know uh, i I can't see why they wouldn't open source it i mean the only thing i can think of is if if there's some part of it that they've patented but even so it's like to me it would be better for apple if they it, it would be more in apple's interest to have this as widely used as possible assuming everything they say about it is as good that it has the tight compression that you want but it's like three times faster than zlib or whatever they would but you 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 can patent something and still describe the algorithm right like that's kind of the kind of the point right you can even uh like gif existed like that for i mean you'd know better than i what like for 20 years seems like before the the patent expired yeah the problem with gif though unisys owned the patent on gif and it was like that they didn't enforce it they had a patent on it didn't enforce it then the web yeah they did the submarine right right? and it was like all of a sudden on the web everybody was using it and then somebody at unisys realized hey we own a patent on this and then you know everybody sort of yeah it was specifically if i remember correctly the lzw yeah i i think very much in the family of things that we're talking right. about. Right. I think what they could do, what Apple could do, or some anybody could do, and I think other people have done, is you can patent it and say this is an Apple patent, but then they can they can bestow that patent. You know, they can say this is open to the world, and you know, and le- yeah. Once you have the patent, you're the boss. You can do it. But they could want. like. Like you can license it freely, right? In a, you did, in a, sorry, in a legally you, binding. Way. You determine the licensing terms. Right. So you know. If the terms are everybody can use it, then everybody can use it. That's fine. But I don't see that this is not a this is not a major benefit to Apple. This is not right. gonna it'd be more of a benefit. How many more iPhones is it gonna sell? Zero more. Right. IPhones. It would be more of a benefit to Apple if everybody else started using it, even you know, so like right. Google servers were using it, uh, Amazon servers were using it, or other, you know, startups, you know, people with web services could deploy it anywhere from anywhere so that iPhones receiving these, you know, this stuff over the air could take advantage of this and have tighter compression and, you know, less CPU intensive um, uh, decompression of the compressed right. stuff. And one, and one thing they pointed out was that uh, a lot of the compression algorithms that we use today were developed 20, 30 years yeah. ago, and CPUs looked very different back right. then. Uh, so creating a modern one that takes full advantage of, you know, modern. Um, instruction sets and the ability to work on a lot of data with uh, 
man, we're getting into the, the nerd weeds on this one, but uh, there's methods to work with a lot of data with very few instructions, and, and the CPU can just optimize that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we don't have to say much more about it, but I do. I still think it's an interesting thing to be coming out of. I'm not surprised, but it's it's an interesting, just pure computer science win to come out of Apple. Yeah. One thing I did want to mention about this is what I mentioned to you while we were uh, kind of chatting about this before the show. Uh I, I see FaceTime as the open source exception rather than mm. Google. They're they're really pretty good about releasing stuff that they said they're going to be open. Yeah, source. but people remember that though the fa- infamous when they when they unveiled yeah. FaceTime and and Steve Jobs said, yeah. and it's going to be open, you know, an industry standard. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna tomorrow morning we're gonna send this to all the industry standard, you know, the standard committees and blah blah blah. And so whenever Apple says anything's going to be open, people are like, yeah, well, I'll still holding my breath on FaceTime, but FaceTime is definitely the exception. You know. Yeah, and I, I've said this before, but uh, I'll say it on your show. Uh, I went out to a party with the FaceTime guys the day that it was announced, <laughs> and they had no idea. They were like, what the fuck happened there? We don't know. Uh, and I've since heard from people that would know uh, that um, Steve asked somebody, uh, can we open sources? And they, they just came back with, Sure. And then, but they didn't really check with the team at all. <laughs> like whoever gave the answer wasn't from engineering. Yeah, yeah. Like the manager and the entire team was sitting in the audience, and they were like, when they heard it was going to be open source, they they were as shocked as we were, probably more so. So anyway, yeah. Um, and plus, in the interim, I know everybody, it, but it's not. That's not some kind of weird Machiavellian no. thing. That's just a complete fuck up, for lack of a better expression. And yeah. it's sort of you know, it's. You know, you got to take the good with the bad with Steve Jobs, where he can be impetuous and impulsive, and sometimes <laughs> right. that works to your advantage, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. I get the impression that it was just like, uh, sure, Steve. <laughs> and they had all sorts of other problems with that too, where they had like a patent lawsuit, and and there was a time I th- I might be yeah. yada yada yadaing some of the stuff in the middle, but some of this there were problems, you know, from when FaceTime debuted to where we are today, where because of a patent lawsuit, they had to unroll some stuff and it made it work less yeah. well. And there were some, you know, drop calls and stuff like that. It, it got worse for a while before it got better because they had to take out some stuff because of a patent lawsuit. Obviously that would have been a problem if they'd opened, if they had just, just quote unquote, open source the original thing anyway. Yeah. You don't just decide to open source right. something like that. There's technical and legal yeah. reasons that, you know, that's right. complicated. All right. So next big topic, we've got WatchKit 2.0, which 2.0. is seriously a major, major, major difference. So WatchKit, as we know it, with what they unveiled last November, what every single watch app in the App Store today is, uh, is code that runs on your phone and projects a UI onto the watch. Uh, and WatchKit 2.0, as promised uh, by Jeff Williams a month or so ago, uh, is native, native, native code that can run on on the watch. Uh, 1.0 still works, which is nice, and might be good for some uses. You know, I I, I asked yeah. Schiller about that last week, and there might be some apps that don't even need to run natively if they you know really do just need occasional status updates. Why even bother with it? So I do think that WatchKit was sort of the – that was the big thing, right? Like we've got a whole new platform. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, what I was surprised about um, 
was just exactly how much access we got to it. Because we get, uh, we all expected apps, right? Um, but we get a lot more. We get complications, notifications, glances, and apps. I really did not think that uh, we, as third-party developers, would be afforded um, access to the complications machinery. I always expected that we would be eventually, but I thought that would be a next year thing. Well, eventually, sure. But as like a, I know it's called WatchKit 2.0, but I'm whatever I'm going to call it, like a first release of native. Yeah, access. and Apple uh, would never use a version number like this, but more or less like what we had with the current, you know, WatchKit is sort of like WatchKit 0.1. I'm surprised that they called it WatchKit yeah. still. Uh, it seems like WatchKit could have been that weird Bluetooth thing, and then I don't know, Watch SDK could have been. I don't know, but here's the interesting thing: you still need to have an iPhone app in order to have a Watch yeah. app. You cannot sell Watch apps directly; they need to be a complement to your iPhone app. Um, what that means is, uh, you know, probably lost the muddy vagaries of app approval like can you just have a screen that comes up and say hey check your watch probably not um but what WatchKit 2.0 is is remarkably robust and forward-looking especially compared to how we saw the launch of uh, yeah iPhone. i one of my Go-to moves during WWDC is when I run into somebody I haven't seen them at all, somebody I know. It's just asking them, you know, and especially this week. I just had last week. I had, you know, while I was there, I had more meetings and stuff outside Moscone than usual. Almost every day, I had something going on, and I, I really, I didn't make it to any sessions at all, all week long. So I was woefully underinformed even compared to usual. So I just asked people like, tell me something cool you learned this week. And you know, what, what's your take? And I kept hearing over and over from people that who were surprised, who were like, I knew they were going to, that they said we were going to get native watch apps. I can't believe how, how much they've exposed to watch apps already. You know, even right. knowing that we're going to have something quote unquote native running on the app, people are, you know, developers are very surprised at how much there is. I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, you know, not to whatever, not 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 to be too nice to you, but uh, I did like that you brought up uh, the WatchKit 1.0 period to uh, to fill. I'm calling him Phil these days. To uh, to P. It's killing you to give me all these compliments, week. isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, <laughs> usually you have me on the show, and I like you want me to be a dick to you. That's like <laughs> like like when we disagree with something, you want me to. It's <laughs> I I. You did a good I text, job. I, don't know I what texted to tell you. Dalrymple today. We were—I forget what we were texting about, but I told him that it killed me to admit publicly how, how good he looks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was know. like, that was the most painful thing I've written on Daring Fireball all year. <laughs> He's a good-looking fellow these days. I, I don't want to mess with him. No. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? We got to buy him a lot more beer. Fan so here's an interesting beer. thing. So complications. Everybody is excited that there's a really good complications yeah. uh, API. And that third-party apps can add complications to all these faces. It is a fascinating design challenge. Uh, I was talking yes. to the guys, uh, my friends who work at MLB.com, and they do the MLB app. 
And they were like, they heard about this. They were, they were just like us. They were surprised that they were going to get it. And then they immediately started plotting what they were going to do. And for most of these complications, you're so limited in space and how much size it's like, like their first thought was that you could pick a favorite team and then you'd have a complication that while the game is going on would show you the score. But they, for most of the sizes of complications, they, I, I don't know, maybe they figured it out by now, but at least last week they still hadn't figured out how to do it because you can't use color because the colors come from the... Uh, the settings. Yeah. Like they, so you can't yeah. like say the Yankees are blue and the Phillies are red and indicate it with dots that way or something like that. You have to, it has to be without using color to indicate that. And there's so little space that you, you know... It's it's really it's going to be a great design challenge in terms of like constraints being you know uh, forcing you to be super creative. Yeah, I agree. Um, just as a bit of backstory, uh, I know you bring up the MLB guys a lot, but uh, it's not just your love for baseball. Those guys do an amazing yeah. job. Like we've had lunch. Well, I mean, I've joined you for lunch a couple of. Yeah, and you don't even know the rules of baseball, and you have a. I don't know the rules of baseball. You have a good time guys talking to those guys. Awesome to talk to. They are amazing to yeah. talk to. Like it's like they are very very smart guys, and they all love baseball. And they're not jackasses. When I'm like, uh, so do you swing the bat this way? Or bat- batting um, a thousand is that, that's a hundred percent, right? Yeah, yeah. I have to ask if batting a thousand. Is, I got about so you know, uh, but they are killing it in terms of technology. Yeah. Like killing it. Uh, I think it, I'm correct in that their back end is the one that's powering a bunch of other yeah, stuff, right? Their video back end does yeah. all of the WWE stuff uh, and the HBO now. They're not doing HBO Go. HBO Go is still the old HBO back end. Uh, but the new stuff is. Yeah, dead. and I think, it, I think the new stuff is probably more popular. Yeah. And I mean, just wrap your head around that. MLB is a major technology yeah, it's now. crazy well think about this like yeah. they deserve it because those guys are smart as right hell. and last year with hbo go uh when game of thrones the you know last year's season of game of thrones came out their servers crapped out and they had to say stuff like um we know it's sunday night and there's a new episode of game of thrones if you want to watch it on game on hbo go why don't you wait a day or two <laughs> <laughs> and there was none of that this year with the HBO now. Uh, and it's like one of those things people just, uh, you know, when, when, when your online stuff fails, everybody talks about it. And when it works perfectly, everybody just assumes that it was supposed to be, but they, the, the MLB.com yeah. back to HBO now stuff with game of Thrones just, just worked. And every, if you wanted to watch Sunday yeah. night, you could watch Sunday night. Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to step out a bit there and sing their praises because uh, those guys are not dummies. Um, but, you know, complications on the watch seem perfect yeah. for that. I don't. I can't even tell you how many times I've been hanging out with you and you've, like, just dodged the conversation in order to check out what's going on with the game. Uh, that'd be great. Um, and the way complications work is pretty cool in that you provide a timeline. Right. Obviously, that's not going to work for a game because you can't predict the future. But uh, for you know uh, stuff like weather or upcoming events, you can provide a timeline, and then when you start dialing the digital crown, you get to see into the mm-hmm. future. Uh, I haven't tried the beta because I don't want to put it on my regular watch, uh, and 
you still have your uh, your yeah the review public? unit watch? I thought about that. I do. Yeah. I was getting ready to send it back, and now I'm wondering whether maybe I should keep it a couple of weeks so I can put 2.0 on it. Yeah, put two. No, really, that's going in the garbage, man. That they're going to incinerate that thing because <laughs> right, I wore it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> they don't want that. Um, Somebody with plastic gloves is going to put that in a Ziploc bag and it's going right I think like a lot of people, while I was watching the keynote and they said, okay, and now we've got this timeline interface for complications and you spin the digital crown to go forward or backward in time and it'll show you, you know, like, so if you have the temperature, uh, obviously they're not going to be able to show you the future temperature, but you can go back in time and and, uh, see the previous temperature or the joke that they made that the stock... uh, you know, right, the stock market d- does not go into the future, but you can go into the past and see the stock moving throughout the day as the hours, you know, change on your, on your hand. I like, I, I'm sure a lot of people, I immediately thought, well, what the hell happens now when I spin the crown on my watch? And I went and spun the crown and of course nothing happens. Um, well, it depends on the astronomy right. and I believe the sun. Yeah. The solar one. Like the solar yeah. one. Yeah. You can do that. You can spin the the thing, and it shows you what happens. But that those are two faces where you don't get to customize the complications, right? right? And it makes me wonder, maybe because that might be why you didn't get to customize the complications oh. because they didn't want to have. Um, oh, I had that hadn't occurred. Yeah, to me. so it makes me wonder whether in the you know. 2.0 where maybe they'll add some minor complications to like the solar face because um, those will update too as you spin the crown. Well, we'll have to ask our friends. Yeah, we'll have to see. But I thought that was pretty cool and I think that's a pretty cool use. And in hindsight, it seems pretty obvious that that was going to come to everything. I feel like I should have been able to predict that because why else is the, you know, why should spinning the crown be a no-op? Yeah, I, I also had a dummy moment there. I'm like, well, of course. I, oh well, I mean, they killed it. I, I I think that's a great. Just seeing what you when your next UI uh, UI when your next calendar appointment is is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, there's the tactile feel of, is it coming soon? In that you move the digital crown very little, or is it a while where you have to spin it yeah. a bit? You know what I mean? There there's a. It's like scrolling to the top of the page versus like scrolling a couple of lines up. Uh, you have a note in here that says foreground discouraged, background preferred. What does that mean? Oh, uh, this is something Trent said to me uh, when we were doing a, like a debug uh, WWDC sort of uh, recap. Um, originally on the phone, uh, you could not do anything in the background. Uh, when your app was not on screen, you were dead to the world. You you weren't running. You were expected to launch quickly and uh, get back to what you were doing, but you weren't running. And then when the um, user hit the home button to go to another app, you had like a second or two where the CPU would let you clean up. And then once that time was over, you were you were right. cut off, whether you were done cleaning yeah, up or not. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the OS is like, okay, you're done. And it it... One of the things I love about iOS is that it is not afraid to just kill processes. Like it'll tell you you've got to clean up, and we'll kill you. Right. Whereas the, so, the the classic Unix mindset, the true Unix mindset, is to go to extraordinary lengths to keep all processes running. Like the right. whole system can be out of 
RAM, and it'll it'll start swapping and going to using the disk and swapping memory out to to disk to extraordinary lengths to the to the length where it'll really slow everything to a crawl, but technically everything is still running. And iOS, yeah, it'll spend like half an hour trying to figure this out how to get some swap space for you, but. Yeah. Uh, the Mac does that now. If you try running low on disk space, uh, bad things will right. happen. Uh, but iOS, no, they, they'll just right. kill you. Right. Okay. So I, uh, you know, and so you're saying that the or Drance's observation is that the watch is different, where it actually prefers that you do stuff in the background. Well, in the it's not that the processes are necessarily running in the background, but in that you um, schedule a bunch of complication events provide them to the API, and then go away. Uh, so as you're turning that dial, your process is not involved in telling the watch what comes next. Uh, if you've given it 20 or 50 or 100 events in advance, um, when the when the uh, time travel dial, when the digital ground is, is turned, uh, your application will never be woken up. All of the information that is required to present that uh, your data on screen has already been given to the app and it, it won't bother you. Um, so in a way, it's more like you provide data and times to the, to the watch and it decides what to do with them rather than the, the phone, which originally had a very immediate sort of um, interaction model. Does that make sense? I'm sure Matt can explain it better. <laughs> no, I do think so. I know what you mean, though. It's like you're supposed to, to keep your complication going. You just schedule, like, and, and you know, it, obviously it could be abused. Um, well, I mean, so here's the difference. is like you and I are trying to schedule the show, and uh, you keep asking me, like, hey, are you free now? Hey, you free now? Hey, you free now? Are you free? Or I'm like, look, uh, these are the blocks of time. I'm not free, and this is when I am free. And you can go away and work with that information, work it around your schedule, and then come back with like, well, okay, here's a here's a time that works for both of us. Yeah, right. Like the that's kind of what the complications on the watch are doing, and that you provide them with a timeline of events and and data. Uh, Rather than the watch asking you persistently, uh, so you as as the application asking the application persistently to provide new information, um, it asks the application upfront for a list of uh, events and and time. Yeah, and there's this new uh, they call it a high priority notification, where if it comes mm -hmm. into your phone and you mark it as high priority, it'll go to the watch right away. And I was thinking that's perfect for something like a sports app, like the MLB app with scores. Like if you say, I want to have scores on my watch, you know, for the Yankees, it can be, it seems to me like it can be really smart and it knows, well, the game hasn't even started yet. The game doesn't start till seven o'clock at night. So we'll just, all you need to know is that there's a game starting at seven o'clock and then the complication can just say something, you know, 7.05 PM Miami Marlins. That's who the Yankees are playing tonight. Um, and then once the game starts, they can just wait for the – every time the score changes, send a high-priority notification, and then the watch would be up to date pretty much as soon as the notification hits your iPhone. And it doesn't need to pull on a regular basis. It can just wait for this, you know, 
for their ap you know the watch or the phone app to get those notifications that'll only happen when the score changes right and so two things here first uh notifications no longer need to be entirely presented to the user they can just go to the the, the right. app second I love that you think that a Yankee score changes a high priority notification. Well, this is another where see this is where it pays to be a fan <laughs> of uh, soccer because then you only have to get one note you only have to get one <laughs> notification per game since they all end one zero. That's true. I can't argue with that. Okay, let's get moving, man. Uh, iCloud Kit, iCloud Web Services. That, that was cool. pretty surprising to me. So the gist of the gist yep. of that seems to be. I didn't see the session, but I only saw the the highlight of it uh, in the, the the State of the Union. But that now they're going to have a set of APIs so that a web app can use iCloud for uh, user ID and pretty much get the same data out of it that uh, that the native apps can. Yeah, that is. Kind of remarkable. Um, I have, again, I haven't looked into it that much because web stuff is not my forte. Uh, it seemed from the, the slide and what they said that you could use it for authentication. Would you guys at Cube Branch have used it for Vesper login? Because uh, I know, and I don't probably. Think I mean, it would have ruled it. I think I'm blowing anything because we kind of. That's if I'm not wrong. That came up in like the beta glass board, yeah. and you considered Twitter and Facebook sign-ins, yeah. right? And the reason we turned is that, those is that cool to say because no, you can say that. We thought about it. I, th I don't know if I've talked about this publicly or not, but there's nothing secret about it. We definitely thought about it because we didn't want to write our own uh, authentication system because it's every moment that we that we spent writing an authentication system was a moment we weren't writing cool features that were specific to Vesper. But the problem we found when we asked friends and family, normal people and not, not like people who are developers and know, Hey, yeah, writing your own authentication system is a pain in the ass is that a lot of normal people really hate signing in with Twitter or Facebook because like, let's say they, they just want to use a notes app and they think, and I think reasonably so they think, Hey, I don't want to use my Facebook because I don't want my Facebook getting messed up with these notes. I don't want Facebook posting something from my notes. I don't want, I, I just want to keep them separate. People don't really understand where one thing blurs with another, but they, they know if they never even sign into this notes app with Facebook, then they can never get intertwined. Right. And people are just uncomfortable um, with it. People don't like doing it. People like having, I know it sounds like it sounds counterintuitive because everybody knows it's a problem to have 75 different user accounts that you're active using and you have, you know, you're supposed to use a different password with each one. And so developers think, oh, I'll solve this. We'll just use, you know, Facebook as your login and then you can just use the account you already know. But the truth is that people are uncomfortable with that because they don't want Facebook getting mixed up with these other services. You know what? I've never signed in with Facebook to anything. I still don't have a Facebook account. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I know... I do just for the sake of like... People I worry don't. about it when I use Twitter to sign into something else, though, because I have i don't think I've ever gotten burned by this, but I know there are th stupid things where you can like sign in with Twitter and you're not really paying attention, and then they automatically tweet to your account, uh, I'm using blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a... Oh, God, I've, I've had that happen to you me know, and I hated it. I had to apologize, like, publicly. Like, oh, it was... Uh, 
I've done it. Yeah, maybe. And I think I, I think, Best and I think the only reason <laughs> I avoided that was that I was late to it, and I had a bunch of friends who got burned by it, and so I knew not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by and large, I'd rather sign in with my Twitter account. I mean, I very rarely use Facebook, but in theory, that's got a lot of personal information on me. Twitter is like ninety nine percent me being a jackass in public like i i realize that everything i put into twitter is pretty much going to be public uh dms i expect to be private but i mean honestly if that failed it wouldn't be that bad um but if your app required a facebook login i'd probably i mean i'd do it because it's you but i I would be reticent to do it if i because I have no idea what that would mean. So, Even as a developer, I don't know. I have no idea. And I don't know if that can change in the future either, yeah. right? So, Well, anyway, I, we might have been a lot more likely to use iCloud than anything else. And we even thought about ways to use iCloud in a way that, you know, the, even if we weren't using iCloud for the data, just using it as you know, authentication, having a token or something like that, and there's ways you could do that. I think having the web service API, it certainly makes it more interesting and more likely that we would have used it or that we might in the future or something like that. Yeah, I think that's a good step. Uh, do you want to just start tearing? Yeah, we can start, but let me take a break. I have two more sponsors to thank, so let me get let me knock one out. And here's our, it's our good friends at uh, Hover. Now you got you know Hover. Hover is yeah. I just I I just bought a domain from them three days ago. Well, you, good for you. <laughs> Hover GooberSucks.com. That's yeah. the best way to register and manage domain names in the world. They take all the hassle and confusion out of registering and managing your domain names. They give you easy to use tools to manage them. Uh, and you don't need to be like a, a DNS expert to do it. Anyone can do it. They explain everything. Uh, and you'll be really comfortable figuring it out yourself. Their support team is always ready if you need a hand. Uh, it takes five minutes from from finding the domain name, uh, finding, you know, they have tools. So if the one you want is taken, they make really smart suggestions about how you can fill it in with, you know, get maybe use a different top-level domain, maybe tweak the actual domain you're wanting slightly to get one that's available. Uh, if you've ever registered domain names somewhere else, Hover is like the difference between night and day. Um, most other domain name registrars, it's like going into the bad part of town and you feel like you got to keep your hand on your wallet. Uh, you got to look, you know, for checkboxes where they're automatically upgrading you to stuff. You have to opt out of stuff. Um, they, they charge you more. They seem like they're charging you these great prices, but if you want something like privacy for your personal information, uh, on the domain name registration, you have to pay extra. All of that, you get that for free with Hover. It's all built in. And they have the most amazing thing. I, I still think it still sounds too good to be true, but it's not, is they call it valet transfer service. It's free. It's built into the to the price of being a Hover customer. So you've got domain names you've already registered from years ago uh, at, other, at other registrars. You sign up for Hover, you see for yourself that yes, this is the place, this is the best place for domain names that I've seen. You think, I wish all my old domains were here. Well, use their free valet transfer service. You get in contact with them, you give them the information to go to your old registrars, wherever you have the domains. Uh, and they go and move them all to hover for you. They just go through all the hassles. And uh, as, as uh, our friend Merlin Mann has said in his reads for hover on, on shows, uh, 
a lot of these other registrars, they purposefully make it pretty hard to to move your domains. Uh, it's sort of like calling up to cancel your cable service. Um, they don't they and Hover knows all the tricks. They know everything they need to do to get that working. Uh, so great interface, great management tools, great tools for registering new domains and free valet transfer service. What more do you need to hear? Uh, here's the deal. They have a special code just for listeners of the show. You get 10% off your first purchase. Go to hover.com and here's the code. Now they do uh, per episode codes. So their code for today's show, this show is El Capitan. All one word, close it up, no space, El Capitan. And uh, they'll know you came from this episode of the show and you'll save money doing it. So my thanks to Hover. Great sponsor. Yeah, they're great. Also, please use that code because that means that they'll know that you like me more than Phil Scheller. <laughs> and that'll mean a lot. Oh, man. What else do we have to tear through here? Uh, Swift 2. Swift 2. We got it. We got, man, we're like halfway down this page right. that I'm saying. But yeah, Swift 2. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to set the stage for this one? <sighs> I think Swift is doing great. I think the fact that it's as popular as it is one year in is fantastic, but almost nobody is using it yet as like their main language. It's just, it's not reasonable. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not, that's not a failure. It's just, it's the side effect of Apple releasing it as early as they did to get feedback. I agree. Uh, I think if Apple were a different company, this would be uh, the, what they're now calling Swift 1.0 would have been Swift 0.x yeah. and Swift 2 would have been Swift 1.0. Yeah. Uh, Cause I really think that they've turned. But the, the difference with, is, is that this, what, yeah. you know, this year's Swift, they're calling it 2.0, call it the real 1.0 if you want to, uh, is informed by a year's worth of feedback from actual developers. And yes. as I mean, when Swift one came, uh, when Swift first came out, there was some banana stuff there. Uh, you could mutate arrays in ways that would make no sense according to the, to what you would expect from Swift. Uh, like if you copied uh, array B into array A and then changed something in array uh, in array B, it would also be changed inside array A. Uh, probably lost like. <laughs> <laughs> 20 million of your, of your listeners there. But basically, it would be like if, you know, um, spooky action at a distance. Like you, you, would, you would change one thing in one place and it would affect something in some other place. And that makes it really hard to reason about how programs work. Uh, they fixed that. They've been improving the syntax. And uh, with 2.0, I really think that they've kind of turned a corner. And I think it's definitely worth considering uh adopting for for new code yeah now. the big one um a big addition this isn't this isn't something they had to like revisit it's something that they really didn't even talk about until uh until now is error handling right and yeah. it looks good uh, to me i mean but my perspective on this is certainly a layman's perspective at this point but it looks good to me uh in terms you know it's what are they calling it try catch it's well, yeah, it's do try and then right. catch. But and uh, you know what? You being too humble. Uh, playgrounds have markdown. I know that's pretty cool. Yeah, good on you, man. That's yeah. No, I know you're laughing, but no, it's I'm yeah. blown away by that. I never really thought that anything I wrote would would make it into Apple's developer tools. Uh, 
Oh, but I'm sure none of you code is. No, no, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! But the ideas are, which is what yeah. Well, wow, that's yeah. The ideas were the best part. Yeah. Uh, so error handling. Uh, you create a block, and then you APIs that can. Uh, they're calling it throw that that can return an error or throw an error in in Swift uh, language. Um, you 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 put try in front of them, and then you can basically catch those errors and and process them accordingly. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a with a way to describe this, but it's almost like if every every time you tried something, if something went wrong, you would um, not follow the rest of the steps in the recipe. Instead, you would just go to the 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 case where you clean everything up and you. You wipe down the kitchen and you just say, like, nah, it didn't work. Um, so they've made kind of a pretty nice way, I think, of, of handling it. Yeah, and some of um, it uh, – and I think – I forget. I'm stealing this from somebody when we were out there last week. But somebody when we were, I don't know, hanging out at drinking at the Park 55 or something, somebody mentioned that some of this stuff is not really for the compiler. Some of it is – like the syntax yeah. is really for the programmer to know, hey – you know, LLVM can figure out could could figure out some of this without the syntax, but the syntax is there so that when you're reading the code, you, the programmer, are like, "Oh, this could throw an error." I totally agree. Um, I so might not get to the a, next line. Like it's it's you know here's this here's exactly this it. method call to open the document. I might not get to the next line because it, I I can see right here that this might throw an error and the error might be well the document isn't even there anymore or something you know you don't even know but it's gonna you know the flow is gonna change and then here's where it's gonna go if it throws an error and I can see where my you know you know what are the what do I do if something unexpected happens exactly um, let's take you up uh, open document example um, the compiler knows that open document may uh, return with an error, may throw an error. You don't need to put try in front of it to appease the compiler. You could just say open document, and uh, the compiler would be totally happy being like, oh, well, that failed, so I'm going to go down here. But by requiring the use of the keyword try, you are forcing the programmer to reason about the way that the code flow may change. So, a lot, I, I, I do, one of the things that concerns me about Swift is that uh, there's a lot of automation decoration that is in order to appease the, the compiler or to present the compiler with better options uh, in order to produce faster code rather than uh, preferring more readable code. That said, this this try construct, uh, I I think it favors the uh, favors the programmer and more so favors the person that comes back and tries to understand that code. Right? Maybe you didn't. You know, six right. months. Maybe or maybe you yeah. didn't write it in the first place. Or right. for me personally, any any code I've ever written, six months later, it's it might as well have been written by somebody else. Yeah. Well, you write a lot of regex, yeah. so 
That's awful. Well, that's what comments are for. <laughs> that's that to me is right. where. Yeah, yeah, and you know, to be fair, you've you've I've seen some of it, and you've commented right. very well. That's to me is the secret to to me the secret to programming was to when I when the breakthrough for me was to realize that comments aren't for other people. Comments are for yourself in a few months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explain yeah. to my future self exactly what the hell you were thinking when you wrote this. Right. Yeah. The zen of programming is realize that you're not that right. smart. Just yeah. Realize that you're the dummy that you're looking down on right now and just become comfortable. All right, Metal on the Mac. Metal on the Mac. Uh, Very cool. Um, So Metal was introduced last year on iOS. Uh, It had the advantage that um, the GPU and CPU were integrated on the same chip and they shared the same memory. Um, On the Mac, that's not the case. Like the Mac Pro has a distinct... Uh, discrete graphics cards, uh, ATI, I'm going to forget the part number, but um, uh, some Mac Pros have that too. They've got the integrated graphics and then they can like ramp up to, to having discrete GPUs kick in. Um, so Metal on the Mac brings a very low-level approach to graphics programming um, from iOS to the Mac. Um DirectX 12 has been doing this. Uh, ATI's Mantle um, API has been doing this. I think in the, the time in the big picture, I feel like there's a couple of factors. I think one of them is that Apple, it, it, their their custom silicon teams, you know, call it all, you know, Bob Mansfeld stuff, but they're doing amazing graphic stuff on iOS. On the Mac, they're still doing, you know, they're using ATI and what NVIDIA graphics cards that could shift at yep. some point right like they could start doing their own graphics chips for the mac maybe but laying the ground yeah, for the mac yeah yeah laying the groundwork now with metal would make that sort of transition a couple of years from now a lot easier if in the few, you know if, if in a couple of years all anything graphic intensive of mac is assumed to be written to metal so there's a hardware a- angle here i yeah, I all disagree. right. I could be wrong. No, you, I, you know, I'm often wrong. I'm, I'm over my head on this. The other, <laughs> the other thing, and I, I've, <laughs> I'm not. No, I, I made I, the you, mistake last you week. Could be right, but I, but here's the thing with OpenGL, it runs on everything. Uh, OpenGL ran on OS2, Windows 16, Windows 32, SGI. Uh, it's OpenGL. If you want that kind of cross-platform thing, OpenGL is the way you do it. Um, interfaces like Metal, Mantle, and DirectX 12 are um, a new way of reasoning about the GPU. Originally, the GPU used to be about um, you would submit some triangles, you would set some state in order to, you know, like the, this is the color you're going to draw, this is the texture you're going to map onto these triangles, uh, and then you would put them on the screen. Um, these days, the GPU has got so fast and so uh, capable of just tearing through huge amounts of data that the best way to address it is not in this piecemeal fashion, but rather to basically write out a command stream. Um, and a command stream is, uh, I'm sure maybe the, the more technical people in your audience will disagree with me, but it's effectively a program. Uh there's no loops or if statements, but it, but it's like 
it's it's a recipe of how to draw a scene, and you feed that to the GPU, and then the GPU will just tear through it and and produce the yeah. output. Um, and the interesting thing is that uh, stuff like OpenGL was targeted at uh, rendering 3D scenes. It's you know GL is graphics language. It's the open graphics language. Um, DirectX 3D similarly, all about that. Um, Metal is about leveraging the capabilities of this off-board, super-parallel um, compute device. It happens that it's really good at rendering pixels and transforming 3D stuff, but the math required to do 3D and to, to shade the pixels and to make everything look pretty is also the math that can be applied in any number of different ways. Um, it may not be graphics related at all. It may not be graphics related. So open. So Metal uh, does what OpenGL does, and it also does what OpenCL does. Um, like our friend Chris Lucio does a lot of stuff in OpenCL with with Capo. Uh, I know Gus Mueller with Acorn right. does a lot of stuff in, in on the Mac with the with OpenCL. Um, Metal presents the device as um, a massively parallel, independent compute device. Yeah. It gets uh, down to the fact that it, ultimately you could describe computers in general as machines that do math really fast. And in, in recent right. years, it's the GPUs, not the CPUs, that have gotten faster and faster and faster at that. And that there's... I, I totally agree. So, so the CPUs are good at... Um, I guess the, uh, they're better at switching on conditions. Like if you've done this, then that. If this, then like they have a lower latency. The GPUs are like the most data you can throw at them and just have them crunch on it in the same way without changing any of their mm -hmm. logic, uh, the faster they go. Um, and optimizing for the two is is different not not in terms of the programmer but in terms of the the, the CPU needs to be responsive and low latency the GPU uh, needs to basically I mean you give it a plate of steak and it's it's done in like yeah. two seconds and it's time. not I made the mistake last week with Schiller about emphasizing gaming and it's great for games but it's definitely not and one of the mistake one of the reasons I made the mistake is I hadn't seen the state of the union yet and in the state of the right. union I thought this was great I thought they were a it was good two good demos but I thought it was really cool to see Adobe on stage you know they had a, a guy from yeah. Adobe on stage right. and he, they showed yeah. this crazy complicated uh illustrator document where you could zoom in live whereas prior to and this is a version that's not shipping yet because it's based on metal it's on the mac uh and you could zoom into this crazy detail and with metal they could do it in real time and instead of typing a new number in the zoom box and then waiting a second for it to re-render at that resolution you just zoom in on the fly and right. and so then they showed video effects and after effects that previously rendered like you know a really slow frame rate. Now they're rendering in real time. It's it's a you yeah. know all sorts of things already rendered in real time in after effects. But this was a totally plausible demo of something somebody might be doing that's gone from you know you kind of get like a preview to now it goes in real time. So it's a big win for yeah. for graphics professionals too. I totally um, agree. Um, and th so there was a time there where Adobe was. You know, Flash, not great. 
but Adobe has been a longtime friend of Apple's, going back to like the first laser yeah. printer, the laser writer. Uh, and, you know, I mean, um, yeah, Ken, what's his name, the, the watch guy? Oh, I know who you mean. Ken, uh, <laughs> Ken forget his name. I know. He, <laughs> Ken, Ken who? forget his name. Ken forget his yeah. name, yeah. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it in the original Irish, but yeah. Um, he wrote a piece being like, yeah, Flash is forever, whatever, he came back. Uh, Adobe and Apple have had a very, very tight relationship for a long time. Uh, and say what you will about Adobe from, I don't know what, like 98 to... You think of Ken, are you thinking of Ken Ferry? kind of thing? No, Ken Ferry yeah, is awesome. Some other guy, some other Ken. Yeah, he was on AppKit. He did. He, uh, I don't even want to talk. He, he auto layer yeah. guy. Um. Uh, but uh, yeah, Apple and Adobe have had a lot, long relationship, and I'm so happy to see them back on stage because they should be. They should be hanging out. Like the, I, there's problems with Adobe yeah. stuff, but the notion that I like uh, that they're that they're. The, the creativity yeah. and, and Apple that they totally yeah I like that the relationship between Adobe and Apple is on the upswing like I feel like yeah, it bottomed out and instead of continuing to deteriorate it's obviously on the upswing and it's cool that they are working with Adobe well in advance you know certainly well you know clearly if they've got the demos already working Adobe didn't have to wait until um WWDC to find out about metal and it even ties in with my carbon 64 joke last week because I whatever year that was 2006 2007 when the bottom dropped out on carbon 64 where the year before carbon was going to 64 bits and then the next year it was like guess what no uh i know for a fact that adobe found out about it when it was when it was announced at wwdc which right. is really probably the the nadir the bottoming out of the adobe apple relationship well, thoughts on Flash might have been. <sighs> I but I th feel like that was that that was a that's a specific team at Adobe, whereas the Carbon sixty four thing I think hit closer to to home. But maybe that's just my bias towards being you know being a longtime fan of their creative tools. Yeah, right. But neither yeah. of them, <laughs> neither of them helped. <laughs> All right, let me take a, one last break here and thank our uh, do our last sponsor read right. uh, and. Shockingly, surprisingly, it's uh, our good friends at Squarespace, longtime supporters of podcasts in general, but certainly longtime supporter of this show. Uh, you guys know Squarespace, simple, powerful, beautiful websites. It's a way to build your own website. And instead of rolling it all from the ground up and getting a web hosting account and writing code and figuring out and installing software and stuff like that. It's a platform where you start with a website that works and you have templates to choose from and you can customize these things through drag and drop right in your browser. What you see really is what you get. You don't have to go into a special editing mode. You're just logged in and you want to add something to the sidebar. You just add it to the sidebar. You can see what it looks like. If you don't like it, you can move it to a different column or something like that. Uh, all of these templates, they're all responsive, so you don't have to do anything right out of the box. Your website already looks great on iPhones and other smartphones. Uh, right out of the box, you've got commerce. So if you want to set up a store, you don't have to install anything. You don't have to upgrade your plan. It's just something that you get right there. So you want to set up a store, you want to do something like that right there in Squarespace. You want to set up a podcast, they've already got tools for that 
where you just upload, you, you know, they've got an audio player. It rolls out your feed so that your podcast already has a feed, everything like that, uh, all built in right from the start. You can get a trial with no credit card required. You just go there, sign up, start using it. You get 30 days and you don't pay until your trial is up. And here's a new thing they have right now. I know you guys have heard me talk about Squarespace before. This is brand new. Start your trial before June 30th. So you got about two weeks from when you, when this show is going to air. Uh, and you get a free year of custom email and business tools when you sign up for uh, either their professional or business plan. Uh, enter the offer code Gruber, my last name, G-R-U-B-E-R. And in addition to that, you'll get 10% off. G-R-U-B-E-R. You get 10% off uh, for the, whatever you order. So if you order a whole year, you save 10% off the whole year right there. So Squarespace, build it beautiful. Go to squarespace.com uh, and sign up today. And remember that code, my last name, Gruber. You'll save some dough. All right, we got to cut through the rest of this real quick. This, uh, you can see yeah, why Apple's keynote went long. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> You know what? I, I I thought it was like, oh, nothing major happened. So All right. What cool. do we know? Because they didn't really. What do we know anything, about the low power anyway. mode? Oh, this is for iPhone. Okay, right? so iPhone and iOS. Here's the thing. Uh, I, I believe when you get to twenty percent, they prompt you and it says, "Do you want to enter low power mode?" Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistake, mistaken, Android phones do this uh, already. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what I was curious about was why does the uh, and this is kind of weird, but uh, I would be curious to know how a phone felt if it just slowly got uh, less responsive as the power went down. Here's um, what I know about low power so far. I know that it it turns off like the highest energy, uh, highest performance parts of the cpu so like an app that might be able to kick the the cpu into a higher gear it no longer does that so it'll slow some things down like that sure. uh it turns off background downloads for some apps uh so it won't unnecessarily do things hit the network in the background until you need it like it might switch your email from push to pull so it'll only check email when you go there uh, and it turns off, this is one of the things when he said, like when, when Craig Federighi said that it pulls some levers and gears that you didn't even think were there. Um, and one of those is that it turns off some of the animations in the UI. So yeah. that things are it just does less and it looks less cool. Cool things get turned off, but that they can really stretch out the amount of time you get on that last 20% of the battery. So here's, I, I think it's good. I think that's a good feature. Uh, I'm just curious about like uh, how about when it gets below 33% you just start throttling all of this back automatically um, in the if you don't have a lot of power your device is tired right. <laughs> it's not going to be animating all the time or it's not going to be downloading that much and I think that's understandable to a user is that crazy to think of? Yeah, like, like you, were, I see from your notes that you're calling it anthropomorphic, but yeah, like your iPhone's tired and so it's slowed down. You know, like when you run out of energy, that seems natural to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like as we run out of energy on this show, we start making less and less sense. <laughs> <We're getting laughs> and people who are listening <laughs> totally understand. Um, right. So I'm curious. I mean, I don't even know if that was 
try. Yeah, I don't know. Really, it's just a funny yeah. thing. It's sort of like we were saying about um, the the iOS turning the Unix model of app lifespan on its head, where Unix keeps processes alive until the process decides it wants to be dead uh, or it wants to exit. Uh, it is sort of similar to that, where it's like the way computers have always worked is to always run as fast as you can at all times. And then all of a sudden you're out of energy. You know, if you're running on a battery, well, that's it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have to go. Whereas it's kind of interesting to think of, of, a, of a machine that gets tired and does less so that it can stay awake to some, you know, be useful in some way longer. I think so. But on the other hand, I mean, I mean, if Jonas is playing a game, don't you want, like, wouldn't he be pissed? I guess. I don't know if all of a sudden he's dropping frame rates. This kid, I'll tell you what, there's one way to get this kid fired up. It's to drop below 60 frames per second. <laughs> well, you're definitely the daddy, so good work on that. <laughs> oh, man, we're never going to cover all this stuff. What about the... Uh, no, no. I got a dog barking. Ah, that's too. all right. That's fun. Uh, what do you call it? When Joanna Stern was on, we had a dog pooping. So, Oh, I love yeah, that. I mean, yeah. you can't. She's you're never gonna, more, more of you're, her. You're yeah. never going to beat that. She tracks me out yeah. like crazy. Having yeah. a dog poop mid-show is, a, I would say, the two <laughs> two, hi- it's hard to two highlights of the year so far. Number two, uh, having Phil Schiller as a guest. And then number one was having Joanna Stern's dog poop mid-show. Yeah, I mean, even Phil yeah. Schiller can't beat that. Yeah. Uh, don't make me top that. Cause <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't even, you still want to know where it's going to go. What about the uh, deep linking into apps? There's this cool thing, and I've, I've got iOS 9 running on my old 5S, and I'm just starting to notice it. But like, and part of it, like one example is like that Safari is now available as a view controller within your app. So yep. like, and the example that already works is if you click a link in mail, Instead of switching to Safari, you get a slide over panel that is Safari. And so your bookmarks are there. It's it's not just a web view, it's Safari. It's a Safari view. But then you get this new like back button up in the menu, or not the menu bar, the status bar. And then when you're done, you just tap that and you're right back to where you were. Uh, I think that's and great. it's and it's uh, a Safari view controller is brilliant. Uh, you know, it's not technically that far off from what we saw with extensions and presenting applications right. within other contexts. But, man, does that ever resolve a lot of problems? Like, I mean, what uh, – I can't even – you know what? I don't remember. What happens in Vesper if you click a uh, We have our own built-in web view that, yeah, that you we know would what? love to get rid of, frankly. Right. Right. I would love to get rid of it. Why would you want to write that? that well, you know. because it was better than switching you to Safari every time if you just wanted to tap right. the link and then not I not totally agree. And you know, I don't want to speak for Brent, but uh pretty sure he did not really No, he definitely didn't. Writing yet another web view, nope. you know. So, no, nobody does right. really. So I think that that's what you know, one of the things the fallouts of this is we're gonna see a lot of apps this year switch from their built in web views to just relying on this once they can or or you know, they'll keep it around, but only for the people who haven't upgraded to iOS 9 yet. Right. But, you know, down, down the road, road, they can just get rid of it. And thank God it should. Yeah. Because and I like the solution so far of having that back button up in the status menu, which solves the problem that the the hardware back button on Android tries to solve, but which I always find just confuses the hell out of me. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because the well, big difference is that with this iOS one, it tells you exactly where you're going back to. It says back to mail. Right. And it'll say that for any right. app that invokes that. Right. Yeah. And it's open. Like they're, That's just the right and their example is that obviously that, you know, Twitter got invited to early access to this. And so that you can have a twitter.com slash, you know, GTE slash tweet ID URL. And instead of opening it as a web view, Twitter can claim that domain and then open it right in the Twitter app. And right. it's, again, it's like a view controller. So it's not switching you to the app. It's just showing you a Twitter view temporarily. And then you can hit back and you're right back to reading your email. Uh, so one big change is that uh, they are not happy with HTTP yeah. and they want to move over to HTTPS. For everything. For everything. Uh, in fact, if you use their higher level APIs, uh, HTTP connections will basically be rejected. Um, so we had to, you know, we got a cert for H and distilled. Uh, and we were doing just benign stuff like asking for like a list of tutorial text, you know, like nothing bad. Yeah. Um, but whatever. They're not wrong. So we moved over to, to HTTPS. Um, you can have exceptions like if you're writing, a, like a, you know, like you said before, like a Twitter client or uh, Marcos or Overcast or like another podcasting app, you're going to need to connect to domains that uh, – are not under your control, and you cannot assume that they have um, uh, a security certificate. That said, uh, that's a bit of a weird kind of change because yeah. things just keep breaking in weird places. But I do think it's a skate to where the puck is going to be type of change. Like it, yeah, I totally. Like agree. It's, it, yeah. You can smell it coming. That pretty soon, just plain HTTP is going to be considered gross, like the way FTP is compared to SFTP or something like that. Even though it's not as personal, you know. And I've got during Fireball set up now to, to do HTTPS for I think I think oh, yeah? everything works, but um, but I still don't link to that by default, and I think I probably should. And I think it's like the old time '90s web developer in me who thinks, well, that's slow, and if it isn't actually asking for personal information of any sort, you shouldn't. You know, there's no reason to do that. Whereas yeah, I think in the yeah. modern day, I think any modern web server can serve HTTPS. Like that's the least of your problems performance wise. Yeah, I mean, even for static content. Like we, I mean, these days we do full disk encryption. Right. Like every block you read and write is getting encrypted on the way in and out, and it's effectively free. Uh, I wouldn't worry about HTTPS. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that because you know what? I want to get your bullshit, not somebody's. Some third parties right. bullshit. Uh, another thing, just small little thing, but one thing I noticed was that uh, the way that all the groundwork Apple has laid for accessibility, and 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 the the primary right. reason for that is to help people who need it, people with low vision, accessibility features for that, uh, you know, uh, whatever whatever the 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 problems you might have that you need accessibility. That's the primary reason to do it. But all sorts of good things are falling out with that. So Xcode has a new uh, UI de debugging features where you can debug the mm -hmm. user interface of your app, not just the logic of the app. And it's all built on top of the accessibility features. So it's two good things that come out of the same thing. You make your app accessible and yeah. then Xcode can debug the user interface. 
So I'm so glad you brought this up because uh, whatever we skipped over, like in the in the order of the notes that we've got, we we skipped over it. Uh, accessibility is almost a, a, a misnomer. Um, the way that you set up accessibility is basically to present your application um, in such a way that it is open to alternative interfaces. Uh, the primary interface is obviously UIKit or AppKit on the Mac. Um, but accessibility presents your interface in a way that it can be understood uh, by people who are uh, have uh, sight impediments or uh, you know, other... Um, Disabilities, people with like mo mo motor disabilities, challenges, right. or yeah, they, you're right, motor disabilities. Like, there's a lot of that too. It exposes what the the application's intent, rather than the visual interface, which you know we all pay a lot of attention to, mostly because uh, I believe like the the majority of us yeah. are uh, have some like a fair degree of visual acumen. Um, but Apple's really gone another way on this, and you know what? They don't make money on this. There's no way. No, and and you know, like, it's one of those things that Tim Cook has said. They don't do it for the ROI, but good things yeah. come out of it, though, right? Like this. Uh, I right? totally agree. Yeah, I am like, I, you know, uh, you know, our friend uh, Doug Russell is a huge proponent of this kind of stuff. Uh, I love it. First of all, the accessibility API, it makes you consider what your application is about more than laying out buttons or laying out, you know, sliders and, and table views and all of that. Accessibility makes you reason about uh, how you're exposing your data model. And I think for that reason alone, it's it's worth considering. Um, the other thing that I really... and uh, just as an aside, uh, apparently the the Heller Keller Helen Keller Achievement Award was uh, awarded to voiceover this year. I didn't see that, but I, I I'm waiting. Pretty good, on yeah. It's on Loop Inside. It's like yeah. Uh, but the other thing that I that I found fascinating was um, iOS has gone hard on adapting uh, right to left. Yeah, iOS. that's the other big thing I noticed, and I noted it's like if you set up. Your, if you do this, if you set up your layouts the way Apple wants you to for like your view controllers and for going into your hierarchy, it 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 sounds unbelievable to me, but it's like it it just works. And so, like for people using right to left languages, um, like Hebrew Hebrew and Arabic are obviously the the two big ones I, that at least I know of. Um, your whole app can go right to left. Right. And, and um, right. Which is great. And I don't even know what proportion of the world. I mean, it's, so it's Arabic and Hebrew, are the, the big ones that I'm aware of. Yeah, that's same here. But it's like, it's mind blowing to me. And, 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 uh, what was, I, for, I forget how you pronounce her last name, but it was Sarah Raddy, 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 Raddy yeah, who did whatever, the demo. Yeah. And it, it was like mind blowing because it's like, here's an app where it starts on the right and the back button is top right. And you go further into the hierarchy by going to the left, and it all, you know, I, I, you know, sounds too good to be true, but it all just works. But it, yeah, they did not phone that in, like the uh, uh, the pagination view, where you're um, 
uh, I guess the best example is the home screen, the one that she used, right? Is like rather than going left to right to advance through pages, you go right to left. Uh, that's brilliant, and that's a, like a lot of work. And um, I'm not, I don't know, I haven't timed it out, but her time on stage at the State of the Union was certainly comparable to uh, Josh and Eliza's. Yeah. Uh, and this was for something like Eliza and Josh did Watch right. Kit, which everybody's like rabid for. And uh, Savarati did Accessibility and User. Well, so she didn't do accessibility. User interface layout from right yeah. to left, and they made they they really hammered it home. And I, it's one of the remarkable remarkable things about Apple is that they, I I really think that it's these kind of things that make me believe that they, um, are being honest when they say that they hold these things dear to them yeah is that the amount of minutes that they gave this talk the the fact that they even bothered developing it why would you there's no reason i'm sure that there's enough bullshit phones out there or bullshit devices that, that don't bother to do the right to left thing but it's better and so yeah they it's it. funny because you don't i i don't think of it uh, as a somebody who literally only speaks one language English. Uh, but I don't think about the fact I, I like, if I think about it, I realize it makes sense. But on a day to day basis, I don't think about the fact that the way that the hierarchies work, like just column view in the finder or, you know, yeah. which, which is an old nextism that goes back to the eighties, this sort of column view, which really, really set the stage for the yeah. brilliant. It's the iPod. Yeah. It's the future. I mean, it's it, the iPhone, right. but, but the reason thing. we go left yeah. to right with that is because our language is left to right. And that, that's right. how we go. Our eyes go left to right. And that for right to left languages, it would make more sense for the the hierarchy of the interface to go right to left as well. And, yeah. and programmatically, it's honestly not no. that difficult. No. I mean, the other thing that they've... You got to bend your mind a little bit, but... It's just mad. yeah. I, the other thing I got out of that, it, it part of it is that it's the right thing to do, and like you said, they didn't have to right. because I'm sure that people who uh, who run their iPhones in Arabic are used to the fact that they're reading the words right to left, but they're navigating the interface left yeah. to right. That they're just used to yeah. that. Like yeah, I'm left-handed. I've adapted right. to a, to a, to a world that is right. right-handed, uh, and I'm sure that people that read right to left naturally are just like, well, screw it. My phone works this way, and that's fine. But there's another there's another well, aspect of this that does have a practical upside for Apple, and that's the fact that they're making it. They keep adding features to add translations to your app in other languages right. uh, as as easy as possible and as powerful as possible. And they even emphasize now that only uh, I might get the number wrong, but somewhere around thirty percent of app downloads are in the United States right now. And I'm not quite sure. They didn't do it by language, but if only 30% of app downloads are in the United States, and a huge portion of them, just just two countries alone, China and Japan, together account for over 50% of app downloads. So if you want to, you're, you're leaving off a majority of the iOS user base if you don't have Chinese and Japanese translations of your app. 
And obviously, like you and I, we, I, you know, I can't translate Vesper into Chinese, and you can't okay. tr translate napkin into Japanese. But there are services that we can commission to do these translations for us. Here's a list of English strings. Please give us, you know, the Japanese and Chinese equivalents. Um, Apple right. is bending over backwards, I think, to make that possible. And that's so that you don't have, you know, Chinese users don't have to only use apps written by Chinese developers, that they can get apps that are written, you know, from anybody anywhere in the world that just takes the step of getting a translator to translate the UI. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I didn't, I didn't count them before the show because I wasn't sure we'd need it, but uh, I'm going to guess it was a minimum two, at least three or four sessions that addressed uh, internationalization. Yeah. Like they're they're not kidding no. about this. It, I I, I don't think we're done hearing about. It. I think that's I think that's going to be like no. a constant theme henceforth in in WWDC. And it should be because you know the world is a big yeah. place, and pretending that the the U.S. is the only place that matters is it's the only place that matters the most, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the only place that matters <laughs> historically, and that you can work out deals. No, seriously, um, you know, I'm Canadian. I, I, we're not going to get news as far <laughs> yeah, as I know. I, we didn't even get to that, but well, because you know, I mean, there's a lot of yeah. uh, we have some restrictions on Canadian content, and uh, Quebec is predominantly francophone, so there's that hurdle. That, um, we know people who've worked in the iBooks side of things that have had difficulty landing deals with Canada because yeah. of that kind of thing. So I understand it. Um, just to bring it back to making fun of you, uh, how funny was it when they ran Daring Fireball on the news thing? I it was very funny, and I was writing a note at the time. So what happened was when they were uh, what was it? we said Susan Prescott was unveiling news, and she was saying, you know, in addition yeah. to like the New York Times and Wired magazine and all these big brands, she was like, you can also read your favorite blogs like Daring Fireball. And I was like, heads down, right. writing notes in my notebook, and I was like, wait, I. <laughs> and I look up the only thing, and I had no idea. The thing that made me mad about it, my first thought was, wow, that's incredible. I cannot believe that just happened. And my second thought is I wish that they had told me in advance because I would have, I would have given them a much better graphic for the logo. Like they made my logo. Well, they also opted you in with right. like, like, don't worry, he'll right. be in. He'll be on. Yeah. And I was like, I guess I'm signing up. <laughs> Uh, we don't have time to talk about this. Well, they, apparently they had to change it because your grade looks shitty. Yeah, the color, projected. I didn't mind that they changed the color because it doesn't look good projected. What I don't like... It's like slight blue what color. What I didn't right? like is yeah. that they made the circle with the star in it as big as could possibly fit in the space, whereas it should have been small. And my example all week long, as I've been complaining about this incredibly great publicity that they've given me, is that if you look at the back of your iPhone, how big is the Apple on the back of the iPhone? It's small. Well, that's how small the Daring Fireball logo should have been in the overall rectangle that they give you on the news site, whereas they made it like as big as it could possibly be to fit. But that's a small. You know what? I've gone this entire show thing saying like nice things about you. You know what? When they show my logo, <laughs> in a, they can make it whatever fucking size they in want. In the keynote. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair so, enough. Yeah. All right. I got to go. Yeah. This has been a great yeah. time. I'm done with yeah, you anyway. Really yeah. appreciate it. Let me thank our sponsors, uh, Harry's, uh, Igloo, Hover, and Squarespace. Great sponsors. 
Glad to have them all. Guy English, people can uh, see you on Twitter. Your username is uh, GTE. Uh, and, you know, you're okay on Twitter. And uh, your uh, app, Napkin, is at, uh, you could just Google it, eight, but it's at uh, age, how do you spell the domain name? Age-and-distilled.com or N-A-P-K-N dot whatever yeah. the fuck. Just, just type, it, just type, type, it, in type it in your favorite search engine. Just type uh, Napkin and you'll find it. A great, great app for the Mac that I use all the time. So uh, check it out. Uh, and I'll talk to you soon. NAP.KN. That's it. <laughs> wait, is it really? Easy to wait. remember. Easy to remember. Anybody. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I should. NAP. NAP.KN. NAP.KN. Well, this is, that's super exciting. That's a great, uh, that's a great domain name. You know what? Schiller did not have to put up with this. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs>